We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. This week on the Garage Beers Podcast, it's episode 89, and we're going to talk a little bit of Cavaliers basketball. And who better to do it with than our buddy, the radio voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers, appearing on the Garage Beers Podcast for the third time, Tim Alcorn. Plus, we're going to get into the Odell Beckham news, everything that's going on with the Browns. We'll talk a little bit of hockey and so much more. So come on up the driveway, open up your favorite lawn chair, crack open a cold one, and join us for Garage Beers. Welcome, everybody, to episode 89 of the Garage Beers podcast. Go find us online at the Garage Beers on our social media on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and pretty much anywhere else that you would want to find us. Uh, give us a follow and get over to garagebeershop.com. Pick up some Garage Beers merch. We've got killer hats and t shirts, uh, and they are for sale, and you can buy them, and we will send them to you. With you, as always, I am your host, Michael Keefe. You can find me online at Garage Beers Mike. And joining me, as always, from the east side of Cleveland, find him online at Garage Beers Chad. It's Chad Meyer. What's up, Chad? Hi. Hi. Uh, boys, I am still reeling from yesterday. Uh, I uh, am still riding the roller coaster of emotions uh, from this uh, Texas Longhorn special teams coach story that i i just can't get over like i mean it sent you it, it sent you up only to bring you back down but like it sent you on like the high of highs yeah are we quit are we quit oh are we <laughs> We're good. go on so go on sorry. continue i don't know i just saw you guys crossing fingers and crossing eyes and uh, uh, <laughs> anyway anyway just a roller coaster of emotions but anybody uh, but anybody who hasn't seen it and let me take you through this roller coaster. So, uh, Texas Longhorns uh, special teams coach, I believe his name is Jeff Banks. Uh, he left his wife and kids, which okay. is like, uh, which is like, oh god, that sucks. Like whatever. He left her, but he left him for a stripper. Okay, and you're like, okay, I'm intrigued. This is awesome. Let me go up the hill. And then, he, apparently. This stripper, <coughs> this stripper's name is Pole Assassin. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> you're like, 
What a fucking legendary. That's probably the most legendary stage name I think I've ever heard. Okay. And so then you reach the crest of the hill and then you're on your way down. You're like, it can't get any better. No. Turns out Paul Assassin has an emotional support monkey that she's come brings on stage with her and dances with her. So you're like, oh my God, Paul Assassin, you're giving me dinner and a show. I fucking love you. Okay. But then you get to the bottom of the hill when you find out that on a tour of their house in the backyard, she blames a kid for getting bit by the fucking monkey. Then you're like, that makes makes you go like, oh, what the fuck, pole assassin? (laughs) And then you you thought a sign that had like in Crayola marker said, hey, don't touch this monkey. was like going to deter a kid from wanting to see a monkey. And you just let him see it in a bit like, what the fuck, pole assassin? Like it just it just took me up and brought me back down. I'm still reeling from this story, guys. But uh, other than that, I'm doing good. Jed has ignored his family all day long. He hasn't gotten out of bed. Uh, we're lucky to even have him on the show after the emotional distress that Pole Assassin and her pet monkey biter has put him oh. through. Oh, dude! Once once I heard that she had him on stage with her, I, like so many questions rang out. Like, is he dancing? Like, like, like. Does she have her uh, like? Does she have him on his shoulders oh when she's giving a lap dance? Oh like security God. doesn't need to touch him. Like security doesn't need to be with her because that monkey's gonna bite anybody who like inappropriately touches her. Was this a Halloween so monkey or is this just like a pet monkey? No, she called it an emotional support monkey. <laughs> Get out of here! Get out of here! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was just so much to unpack with this story. I love it. I just love what a name. Pole assassin, right? Uh. That's such like a that's such a left turn from like cinnamon or like diamond desire, the, uh, desire. You and know, coming it's up just, next, ladies and gentlemen, bring yeah. dollar bills. Get on up to the main stage. Here comes <laughs> pole assassin. Yeah, and then like Motley Crue, Doctor Feelgood hits, or Michael <laughs> Bublé, because <laughs> she's listen. We're on an emotional roller coaster here. Full assassin doesn't hit you with the standard stuff. No, no, then you're right. You know what? It would be something weird like that. Like it'd be like Rick Astley. <laughs> Never gonna get uh, full assassin up. That's what the special teams coach said. Uh, anyways, yeah, uh, that's awesome, Chad. Thank you for sharing that uh, fun story to lead us off. Uh, so Chad's over there hanging out on the porch, enjoying a little beer. We'll get to that in a minute. Joining yes. us. Normally from Nashville, Tennessee, currently in my house in Cleveland, where I am not. So I'm jealous. It's Joey Whalen at Garage Beers. Joe, what's up, Joe? We got to plan these a little better. Where are you? <laughs> I am in. I am currently in Des Moines, Iowa. That sounds horrible. Des Moines. That sounds like <laughs> like I think there's few places you can say that are worse than that. Uh, Des Moines. Okay. It's kind of a cool little, yeah, it's like, uh, it's a very like fast growing place. So like a lot of businesses are like Apple's opening up like a secondary headquarters here. Like a secondary Apple store there. No, yeah, an Apple, not an Apple store. Des Moines, Iowa. We now have two Apple stores and a Wendy's. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what they say, you know what they say about Des Moines? They're they're the Austin of the Midwest. (laughs) <laughs> Do they say that? They don't say that. <laughs> Keep well, Des Moines good for them. I'm really, I'm really happy for Des Moines, Iowa. And, Des Moines is um, not bad. 
it's an okay place. I'm, I'm not. The, I've never the been things here before. I'm sure they have there. I've the never mind. been here before, but there's. We found a really cool little brewery. I'll get to that in a minute. Some good uh, restaurants. Yeah, it, Des Moines okay. Des Moines all right. I don't hate right. it. So, anyways, Joe, what's up, man? Hi. Not much. I, I, I don't know. I'm in your house. I uh, did my favorite thing tonight, and I am building IKEA furniture. Um, which appreciate is fun. that. Yeah. You could have that all done by the time I get home tomorrow. That'd be great. I was close, and I had to leave for this stupid thing. What? Excuse <laughs> us. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, uh, I had to leave for the podcast, <laughs> which I love. Uh, <laughs> Tell me you care without telling me you care. Ooh. <laughs> well, boys, uh, we got an awesome episode here. Again, uh, we are always proudly brought to you on the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network, so go check out Belly Up Sports. But, uh, boys, huge episode coming up. Uh, we have got an interview in just a little bit with the radio voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers, Tim Alcorn. And if you've been following the Cavs to start the year, uh, a gauntlet of a schedule. Just an absolutely devastating schedule that the Cavs have played so far. And they're kicking its ass. Uh, and uh, and so we're going to talk a lot of Cavs basketball with Tim Alcorn. There's a lot to be excited about. Uh, and uh, and you'll hear that excitement in Tim's voice. Uh, and uh, and then after that, we got some stuff that we got to talk about that maybe isn't going to be so exciting. But there's some shit we got to get off our chest with the Cleveland Browns and the bullshit going on in that organization right now. So we're going to have to have talk about that. And so much more. But before we get to that, we got to start off, as always, with our Garage Beers of the Week. So, boys, let's send it around. Chad, you've been, like, real excited about your beer today. So I'm going to send it to you first. I'm going to have you lead us off. What's your Garage Beer of the Week? Fellas, it's super tasty. So for the anniversary slash wife birthday, uh, did a little uh, little, 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 little getaway thing. We did... uh, we we went out to Geneva and we did the wine thing, the whole winery tour. Like which if which if you haven't done, it's great because there's a lot of great wineries out in Geneva. Uh, you know, we went to Laurentia. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but you are. Laurentia. Uh, it kind of reminds you a little bit of Napa, not like like a lot, but like a little bit. Uh, like and a, then we like stopped. a trailer park in Napa. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like a poor man's <laughs> Napa. Uh, and then we went to uh, Debonet Vineyards, uh, which is also home uh, and connected to Double Wing Brewery. And uh, the tasting room is on the other side of the wine tasting room, the beer tasting. And so I picked up a couple of beers. And, fellas, this is a blueberry Kolsch that oh. I picked up. And uh, it is really good. I mean, it is so smooth uh, going down. I could drink probably 100 of these. Uh, I, I would put it right up there to be honest with you. I would put it right up there with a fathead's bumbleberry. It, it, it wow. is that good. It is that good. So, uh, one of my, uh, favorite beer tasting beers that I've had in a long time on this show. Wow. Chad now, at, at Debonet brewer or uh, winery also known as like the most crowded place on the planet. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the beer, the beer side of things, the brewery side of things was actually a little bit more like a man could breathe over there. But uh, yeah, the winery was wow. <laughs> we like I like how you keep referring it as like out in Geneva. What is that like seven minutes from your house? Uh, it's actually 40, 40 minutes. Whoa. 40. Yeah. He yeah. only drives. Do you not live far enough east? <laughs> no, but no, man. I live. I, I don't live too far into Menor. I don't live too far into Menor. Like I live just on the other side oh, of Willoughby. Man. Ooh, you're on that side of the tracks. 
No, oh, yeah, you're one of those. <laughs> I live, okay, I live, I, I live in the I live in the ritzy area. I live right by Lake Catholic High School. Yeah, oh. and they. Oh. Yeah, I can't believe they let you in those neighborhoods. Uh, all right, Chad. So uh, that's always a good time. I agree with you. The wine tastings going around. There's some great wineries out there. So love it. Uh, and uh, what's it called? Double Wing Brewery? Yeah, Double Wing Brewery. Nice. Sweet. All right, Joe, you're in my house in North Ridgeville. Uh, well, so what I, are you drinking in my house? <laughs> it's actually really funny. I did um, bring literally from Bloomington, Illinois to Nashville to Avon. I brought a, a beer from... It's called the steel brewing company. Um, but I forgot it at my parents' house. Uh, so <laughs> I went to your garage beer fridge. Yes. And I got this guy from Treehouse here. Oh, I hate you. Uh, no, <laughs> of course he had to. <laughs> of course he had to. I was. A- <laughs> I hate your guts. I just wanted Don't to make you, you sweat a little that. bit. That's not what I'm drinking tonight. What are you drinking? I'm drinking barrel aged Christmas ale. Oh, I know yeah. it's been on the show before, but I've never had it. And like they didn't, they didn't have to make this, but they did. And they, I don't know why they make normal Christmas ale after this. It is so good. This is, <laughs> it's, it's just the best. It's so good. It's so strong. I wish they made it in kind of a smaller bottle because it's kind of hard to get through that one alone. Uh, so I actually opened up last night and had one glass, and this is the second glass. It's like a little flat right now, but like I wasn't gonna let it go to waste. Um, and that's what I'm drinking tonight. We know what happens to Joe when he drinks strong beers on the podcast. This shit's about to get real fun by the end uh, of the show. There's a good bit left. It is a little like I wish it wasn't as flat as it was. <laughs> I wish there was a way that I could have prevented that from going flat last night. But the problem is, like I cracked it open at like ten thirty or eleven, and like. I, you know just, what you should do? We what? have one of those soda stream machines. Go soda stream. Dude, I don't think you should put it in the soda stream. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can only put water in that. No, yeah. do it. No. Oh, your son's you're all over no. me. I was like, what is no. on my arm? There's a guy. There's a guy on TikTok that puts like mayonnaise in the soda stream. Yeah, but like, he's not also putting like <laughs> lemon water in there. Like, you know, neither pretty, are we. I think we've used that thing twice. Oh, yeah. I do love a soda stream. Go beer the soda stream or soda stream the beer. I think it's a great idea. <laughs> all right. Maybe we're not going to do that. All right. That brings it around. I guess, I guess not. He yeah, just right? said, fuck right. you. and just took a sip. Yeah. He was like, fuck off. <laughs> I was like a sip. Joe was like, it's cool. We're not on a podcast. I don't need to talk at this point. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's more right, of a so visual that, thing. Yeah. Whatever. That brings it to me. And I am, I'm going to, I'm going to go uh, topical for me. I'm going a really cool little brewery that we found here in Des Moines, Iowa, that we had a good time at last night. And it's called Lua, L-U-A, Lua Brewery. And this beer is called the Colossus. And it is a triple IPA with all kinds of hops. And it is just a delicious beer. Oh, that way. It is delicious it's a, the brewery was cool. It was kind of like that. Just, it was a very, just kind of normal, but like real comfortable, cool brewery. They had good food uh, and their beers are delicious. Ooh, I like triple that, IPA. that is a hazy triple yeah. IPA. It's smooth. It's strong. It's delicious. And so, uh, yeah. Shout out to Lua brewery in Des Moines. You ever find yourself in Des Moines randomly go to Lua brewery. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Kids pack your bags. We're headed to Des Moines. Des Moines. 
we're gonna skip we're gonna skip disney world this year and we're going right to des moines we're going to disney world no we're going to des moines world i heard their corn mazes are fantastic this time of year you know what they call des moines the disney world of the midwest (laughs) they don't don't call it that they don't call it all right nobody called it that it's des moines world it's going to be everything of the Midwest by the time I'm done with it. <laughs> they call you've only called it Disney World. Oh, you did call it the Austin Midwest. <laughs> I don't know what's next. Anyways, yeah. those are I'm, sure I'm, sure, I'm sure I'll find a callback at some point in the episode. I'm sure you will. I'm sure it's just going to be as entertaining as the other times you've said that. <laughs> uh, those are our garage beers of the week. Get online. Let us know what your garage beer. Clearly, our garage beers are working tonight, boys. Uh, get online and let us know what your garage beers are this week, this weekend. Uh, trust me, with everything going on with the Browns, I'm sure everybody's going to be drinking a lot more than usual. Uh, uh, but let us know what you're drinking. Let us know if you have any suggestions, things you'd like to see us try on the podcast, and we will go get them. Uh, to you guys here on the podcast, cheers. To you, the listener out there, cheers. And now it's time for us to get into episode 89 here of the Garage Beers podcast. And to start it off, we're going to send it over to an interview. Unfortunately, you guys weren't able to be a part of it, so it's just me and Tim. We had an awesome conversation about the Cavaliers with the radio voice of the Cavs, Tim Alcorn. We'll send it over to that right now. All right. And now it is time for uh, a subject that we have not paid nearly enough damn attention to here on the Garage Beers podcast because of everything going on. We've had the Browns going on. We've been uh, we've been killing it with Blue Jackets and, and the guests there. We haven't paid nearly enough attention to one of the very exciting things going on here in Cleveland, which is the Cleveland Cavaliers and this young team that is playing a brand of basketball that like, I think we could have only dreamed of uh, as, as we were getting ready for this season. So who better to join us here on the garage beers podcast on this episode 89, than the radio voice of the Cleveland Cavaliers himself. One of our dearest, dearest friends, one of the best guys I know. Go find him online at Cavs Alcorn. Tim Alcorn, welcome back for the third time to the Garage Beers podcast. Hey, it is great to be with you. And as you said, uh, there's some exciting things happening with this Cavaliers basketball team. So looking forward to chatting about it. Uh, Hey, I want to compliment you and Chad and everybody with Garage Beers podcast. Uh, This thing has just exploded and you guys have a following that's just off the chart. So Hats off to you two because uh, you have really made this thing work. And, uh, you know, I feel like I'm the low guy on the totem pole as no, far as uh, some of the never. guests that some of the guests that you've had are just phenomenal. I, I follow you guys on Twitter and social media. So great job by everybody involved with Garage Beers podcast. Uh, and congratulations to you, uh, Tim. You know what, man? Uh, a lot of the fun has been with you. We've had some great things because of you. Uh, I will never, ever, ever, ever in my entire life, no matter whatever ever happens in my life, I will never, ever forget the fact that we were able to talk to Joe Tate uh, and, and you were the one that set that up for us. So, Tim Elkhorn, man, uh, you're a part of the family here on the Garage Beers podcast. Don't you forget it. Timothy, I don't know what a podcast is, and I don't know if I'm comfortable doing anything that has garage beers in it, but I'll do it. So, and he had a blast. He had an absolute blast doing it. So I'm glad I could help out there. It's a, a, a moment that, that I don't think any of us will ever forget. So no, Tim, it's, it's so good to have you back. And listen, talk about a guy coming onto the podcast, dedicating a little time at a time where you didn't need to do this. 
my man, you are coming off of, we talked about a little bit before it came out, the longest road trip you've been on since you took the job as the radio voice of the Cavaliers. You have been, uh, you did the whole West Coast, Denver, and uh, and and L.A. twice. And, well, that's an easy one, though, because you get to just stay there. Uh, and Phoenix, and then you come back. Uh, uh, where'd you guys wind up even? Charlotte. Charlotte? If I wind up in Charlotte and then back to Cleveland. How 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 are you even awake right at that right at this it, point? It does beat the body up a little bit. And believe me, I know there's folks out there that really have uh, laborious jobs uh, where they work their body to the bone. So uh, I am not one to complain. But uh, yeah, you you do feel a little beat up at the end of that. As you said, you do four games out west, and then you fly all the way across the country. From Phoenix to Charlotte, I I still want to track down the the guy in the NBA scheduling office that came up with that. I mean, are you kidding me? And then uh, to finish it up in Charlotte, I mean, coast to coast, that's not. And we literally saw the Pacific and the Atlantic on the same trip, Jeez. and uh, it was crazy. But for the Cavs to uh, come out of that trip, Mike, at three and two, uh, that's phenomenal because I don't think you could have asked anyone in the entire city of Cleveland or the entire NBA community. Uh, well, the Cavs have a, a winning mark on that trip. Nobody would have said yes. Uh, there were a lot of people thinking that could be an 0 five trip and really put them in an early hole because that was five quality opponents. And to get out of there at three and two, that that's just a remarkable trip for the Cavaliers and really a four and two stretch. Uh, when you throw that Atlanta game in right before you guys left for that trip. Uh, listen, I was yeah, one you, of those people. Right. I was one of those people, Tim. Not that I doubt the Cavaliers or what they're doing, but after the 0-2 start, you looked at that schedule and you saw Atlanta, Denver, L.A., L.A., Phoenix, and you were like, oh, shoot. <laughs> this, <laughs> this could get real ugly real fast. What a like! What an incredible turnaround this team is playing the brand of like team basketball right now, Tim, that, like I said, in the intro, like what you dreamed about this, it's, it's like this efficient, smart way of playing basketball that uh, it, it's just, it's so fun to watch. It is. And it's a blast to call. I can tell you that uh, with Jim Jones. And uh, I want to circle back to where you started and, uh, that Atlanta win. And Mike, I really think that win over the Hawks gave them the impetus going into the road trip because that Hawks game, uh, the Cavs were on a back-to-back. Atlanta had not played since Wednesday. So they were waiting in Cleveland for the Cavs to show up or to play the back of the second half of the back-to-back. They had come off that tough loss to Charlotte. Hawks were fully healthy. I mean, and they were ready to go and the Cavs beat them. And I really think that gave them a little lift in their step as they got on the plane to head out west. And so you can't really overlook or underestimate the importance of what that win over Atlanta meant to start the trip. And then, as you said, uh, to go out west and start in Denver and beat uh, the Denver Nuggets and Jared Allen really outplayed the reigning MVP and Nikola Jokic. I mean, Jared had a huge ball game. Uh, in Denver and now you move on to LA and all of a sudden you can feel the momentum and as you said uh, hats off to JB Bickerstaff because they have bought into his system and his philosophy 
uh, that you talked about, ball movement and playing together as a team. And um, it, again, I, I know everybody was kind of getting a little tired of the, you know, it's a young team. They're going to mature. They're going to develop. We've been through that the last couple of years. And yet you can really see the whole process coming together, at least through eight games this season. Tim, I want to step away from the Cavs for a minute. And I just want to know something. No sport travels the way that either the NBA or the NHL, the, the, the two of those leagues, right? Because you talk about baseball, you travel, but you go play for three days in a city or four days in a city. And, you know, the NFL, you travel, but you got a week between games and then you go home. Mm-hmm. You are traveling with the team. What is life like just getting used to living on an airplane? Well, that's a good point. And in all seriousness, because uh, people ask me all the time, what's the travel like? Do you get to see these cities? And it's like, no, you don't. I mean, you mentioned L.A. We were there for a few days because we had the game on Wednesday with the Clippers and then the game on Friday with the Lakers. But uh, here's a great example. So we leave Los Angeles Friday night after the Laker game. Uh, we got into Phoenix at about 2, 2.15 in the morning Phoenix time. You get up. The Cavs have a walkthrough in the hotel. They just basically had a meeting, did a quick walkthrough in a ballroom. So you don't get up until 10, 11 o'clock because your your body's trying to adjust. You go down and you kind of talk to the guys after the walkthrough. You go back up. The first bus is leaving Phoenix at 4 o'clock to get over to the arena. You play the game that night. Now, we did stay over, but then you fly out at 9 o'clock Phoenix time the next morning. So Jeez. it's not like I had time to go visit Phoenix, Arizona. I mean, and it's right. like that at a lot of places. You get there in the middle of the night, you get to bed. And as you said, you're normally, except for that L.A. scenario, you're not in a town for two or three days. You're in there sometimes less than 24 hours right. and you're getting right back out and getting on that plane. So uh, it is an adjustment. In fact, we were talking earlier about about Joe and God rest his soul. And uh, Joe had told me many times it, it wasn't the games. It wasn't the work that really wore him down. It was the travel, as you alluded to. And it's true. You, you live a lot of your life on a plane for six to eight months. Where, where's your seat on the plane? <laughs> Third section. <laughs> Players get the front section. Players get the front section. The coaches and staff get the middle section. And then there's guys like Alcorn. Yeah, he's going to the back. <laughs> you're, delivering the, you're delivering the drinks. <laughs> third section second row you know there's no assigned seats but it's like grade school once you get yes. out of the first flight everybody sits in the exact same seat <laughs> who's your who's your travel mate who do you sit next to uh jones is to my right so i that's got a big, Jim. that's a big man to sit next to on an airplane well he's we each have our own like seat. row okay gotcha yes Yes. So in that sense, it's, it's, at least it's comfortable. And, and it's funny because, uh, yes, they have made accommodations for six foot five to seven foot men sitting on an airplane. So And then there's you. And then there's you. Just, you're, you not, know, you're not you a small guy, you Tim. You're not about, a small guy. About dropping the tray and having it stick in your chest. <laughs> uh, uh, just for some fun. Uh, uh, you guys as, as, as the broadcast team, right? You and Jonesy and, and, and Austin Carr and John Michael and uh, Rafa. And, and you guys are, uh, uh, have you guys just kind of formed that super friendship that you get just on the road, being together all the time and, 
Uh, does it make it a little easier, at least, to be on the road with those guys? Do you enjoy your time with them? Yeah, it does. I mean, there's a fraternity there, as you know, in the broadcast world. Uh, we all tell the same stories and uh, share the same frustrations and talk about the broadcast uh, after the ball game. And, uh, I'll tell you what, first of all, John Michael, who, of course, was my predecessor in the radio booth, has been the most gracious guy to me. Uh, since he transitioned to television after the passing of Fred. and uh, But he is just constantly, anything you need, anything I can help with. He's just a great guy. Uh, someone that I've really become friends with is AC, is Austin Carr. Love and as I don't really get to hear him a lot on air. I'll catch the replay of the game once in a while. But, uh, boy, on the bus <laughs> and in the meal rooms, he is one of those hilarious guys. I mean, I wish he was my neighbor because we yes. would just have a great time together. You know, we end up we end up in these media rooms, and uh, I usually I usually meet Austin in the press room, but it, without fail, Tim, where's the ice cream? He's always <laughs> looking for the ice cream, and we have a, <laughs> we have a big laugh about this. And uh, well, and the same is on the plane. You know, we do a lot of bus traveling, airport to yes. hotel, hotel yes. to arena. Same type of thing. Everybody always sits in the same seat. <laughs> so I've got Jones in front of me and then I got Austin behind me. So I'm sandwiched in between Jones and AC. And then when Look those out. two start talking, I'm in the middle. So my head's on a swivel because <laughs> like they're looking behind seats and over seats. <laughs> hey, Jim, you remember that <laughs> oh, they're oh, hilarious together. So. Good stuff. And yeah. I shouldn't have left. I shouldn't have left Angel Gray off that list too, because uh, she's a friend of the podcast. And uh, oh, and a terrific young lady, and a very, very knowledgeable basketball mind, and a terrific sideline reporter. Absolutely. Awesome. And it's cool what she got to do, you know, in the broadcast yes. world with the WNBA as well. Very, very cool. Uh, so yeah, Tim, let's talk about let's talk about this team for a minute. Right. Yeah. I don't know. You know, normally we do that like a Cavs preview and things just kind of got away from us. We had uh, we had really special Ohio State guests join us. We had Blue Jackets guests join us. And like the, this, this kind of Cavs season kind of slipped under the radar. But here I am watching this team and I love here's what I love what I'm seeing out of this team, Tim. It's not the I want to start with Colin Sexton. Because he was like the hot button topic coming into the season. What are they going to do with Colin Sexton? What are they going to do? And, and we've talked a lot about Colin Sexton with you uh, uh, and, and with other people that talk Cavs about maybe how what he was thrown into wasn't the most fair thing in the world. He's the eighth pick in the draft. LeBron leaves. He's like expected to just like be the next guy. And he wasn't like the top overall pick. Doesn't mean he's not super talented. But I want to say, like, whatever system, whatever they have figured out, the fact that Colin Sexton is playing this type of game where he doesn't have to have the ball in his hand all the time, and he's making plays, he's been phenomenal on defense. Uh, uh, start. I, I would love to just kind of hear your impressions of the style of the play that they have and how it's fitting Colin Sexton's game. Well, as you said, uh, Colin Sexton can score the basketball, but the system they're playing now, Mike, he doesn't have to score on every single possession. Yes. He's not carrying the load. And that's huge because Colin Sexton, 
uh, is relentless as far as his work ethic is concerned. Uh, so he will do whatever it takes. Yes, he does look to score. I think that's his mindset. But I think he also realizes now, I don't have to score every time we're on the offensive end. Now, the first three years he was in the league, there were times that he just didn't have the offensive talent around him. He had to score right. 25 to 35 points for the Cavs just to be competitive, just to be in the ball game. Now they've added a Lowry market and Jared Allen is a real presence in the paint. And I'm sure we're going to talk about Evan Mobley. So, and <laughs> DG is just getting better and better. So all of a sudden that pressure has come off Colin. And I think JB and the staff have really gotten to him as far as, listen, this is the style we're going to play. And it's, it'll be good for you because you're going to have easier scoring chances. You're not going to get beat up. Because uh, he he's relentless. I said in his work ethic, he's also that way as far as going to the basket. Oh, yeah. You know, Jim and I talk all the time. He loves physical basketball. So, But that'll beat a guy up over 82 games. And Colin, except for last year, had that streak going where he hadn't missed a game. So uh, I, I think Colin has bought in as far as uh, what G, JB has installed and the system that they're running. There, there's a lot more fluidity to it. And I think he's obviously very much an asset to this basketball team. Oh, my gosh. And it, it, it turned into a, as a guy that watches a ton of the games, I'd rather see him scoring 17 or 18 points, but making that extra pass. Like, that's the thing that we were missing with Colin. Not, and, and again, it, a lot of it was probably a part of the talent around him to an extent, but like making that extra pass, not feeling like you have, the ball would stick with Colin Sexton in the past. It would move around and then boom, it would hit his hands. And then Colin Sexton, that's where the ball would stop. That's not happening this year. And so he's not putting up the 35 point games, although he's had some big scoring games, but he's, but he's averaging like the 17 points a game air at like range, but it, the ball and the fluidity and where he fits in the offense, it, it's now it feels like it's a part of the offense. It doesn't feel like it's Colin Sexton in the caps. And that, that is such a great thing to watch. Yeah, that's a great way to put it, Mike. And, um, you know, in, in in the basketball world, without getting too deep into the weeds here, the coaches will always say, if you give the ball up, if you pass the ball, when you get it back, you'll have a better shot than when you initially gave it up because the defense has to move and the defense can't keep up with the ball. So don't be afraid that when you get it and give it up, it's not coming back to you. If, if you're a scorer, it will. And when it does come back to you, you'll have a better shot than when you passed it the first time. And I think early in his career, as you said, the ball would get stuck in Collins' hands. Now, did he have the confidence in his teammates to pass the ball and all that? I can't answer that. But right it's now, that blame game moving. thing. It's just the way it was. Right. It's, it's not a blame game. It's just, it's just the way it was. Yeah. And, and now that ball is moving. And more often than not, uh, when Colin gets it back, which he often does, he does have a better shot. But the weapons that the Cavs have offensively are now better than what were there the past couple of years. And so there's better shots for the other four guys on the floor. So let's talk about some of the other things going on. There's so much. There's so much different. There's such a different vibe with this Cavaliers team. We got to talk about Ricky Rubio. We got to talk about Kevin Love off the bench. I know he's injured or, you know, he's off for right now, but he'll be back. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about this, this willingness from J.B. Bickerstaff and his, and his staff. And uh, 
from Kobe Altman to go out and acquire players to fit this style of you got these two guys in the backcourt, Colin and Darius, and then there's three seven-footers. And then there's three seven-footers in the starting lineup in Lowry Markkinen and, uh, and Mobley and Jared Allen, and it's working. And so what do you make of it, Tim? Because you watch as much NBA basketball as anybody. You're out there on the road. You're watching every game the Cavs play. And like the it thing, the fad thing is uh, made popular by Golden State, the small, small ball lineup. Get out there, get moving, be fast. And the, and the Cavs are basically saying, well, we can play a different style and it's effective. That's that's what really has become very interesting because, you know, any league, it really doesn't matter. Basketball, football, hockey, they become copycats. And so when Golden State had that success, all of a sudden, everybody's going small ball, small yes. ball, small ball. Well, if you don't have the shooters and you don't have the athletes to match up in small ball, uh, you're not going to win. So as you just said, hats off to Kobe and to JB to say, all right, to use a radio term, we're going to counter program. <laughs> yeah, right, right. We're going to go, we're going to go big. We're going to go big. Now we're going to go big with skill because JB has maintained throughout. I'll take skilled big guys over small ball, yes. especially big guys that can go out and defend that three point arc. Because all of a sudden, if you've got a, a six ten to seven footer with their arms up on the wing, that becomes a much tougher three ball. If they decide to drive by Sexton or Garland, you got a seven footer waiting there. And oh, by the way, if you get by the first seven footer, hey, there's it's another one there waiting for you. Right. So defensively, uh, it has really made an impact. And on the offensive end, it has as well because. Mobley, yes, he is seven feet, but he's an athletic seven-footer. I mean, he moves. He's got handles. He can dribble the basketball. Um, you know, he can play with either hand. Mark it in. His shot will come around. I mean, his career three-point shooting percentage is up in the high 30s, right around 40. That shot will come. I mean, you don't shoot that well for so many years and have it disappear. So you've got a guy that can hit three balls. You've got an athletic Mobley. And then Allen in the paint at times is unstoppable. I mean, two times on a five-game road trip, he had over 20 points and 16 rebounds. So Jared Allen can be a dominant force in the paint. So JB has said, we're not going to try to play you small ball. You know what? I have bigs. And all of a sudden, it's the other team that's going, well, how do we defend this? Right. And how do we attack? And how do we attack this offensively? So instead of the Cavs trying to react to everybody's small ball, you've got teams and coaches that are trying to react to the Cavs starting three seven-footers on that front line. Well, and, and, and Tim, it, it's – okay, so I'm going to use a, a Blue Jackets analogy because we've talked a lot of Blue Jackets. And the Blue Jackets on draft night in the NHL draft – they made a trade and they sent fan favorite Cam Atkinson, a guy that that people in Columbus just flat out loved. And he was he was a blue him. jacket, hardcore through and through. And they sent him away for, for Jake Voracek, who just has proven to be the, the Cam trade for Philly worked out great. The, the people in Philly love Cam. He's playing really well. But Jake Voracek is better for the Blue Jackets. And that's a hard thing to say, but it's a it's a win win. And the Cavs kind of did that, didn't they? You've got Larry Nance, fan favorite, 
what he did in the Cleveland area, what Larry Nance Jr. did for the small businesses and the T-shirts and and just being a good human being around the town and then and then a good basketball player on top of it. Uh, uh, it was hard to watch him get traded. But you bring in this, what, 24? Lowry Markkinen, 24-year-old, big Finnish, seven-foot guy that is really not shooting well yet, but he will, a sniper. It just fits a little better with what this team is doing. And, and so it's funny to watch. It's, it's a very parallel-type situation. You watch the fan favorite go to Portland, but in return, you got a guy that just makes a ton of sense for this team. Right. No, the, the Nance family, both his dad, a Cavalier legend, whose yeah. number is up in the rafters, and Larry Jr. Uh, will forever be connected to this organization and to the community, as you mentioned, Mike. Uh, what they both did, and more recently, Larry Jr., obviously, for the community of Cleveland and the surrounding area yes. and all the things that you just mentioned, small businesses, uh, it'll never be forgotten. And when Portland comes in Wednesday night, uh, that crowd, I would hope, is going to rise and cheer yeah, uh, for will. Larry Nash Jr. Because uh, it, it was a phenomenal time for him in Cleveland, and he loved being here. But uh, he also mentioned in his farewell uh, address to Cavs fans um, that he worked with the Cavs on this deal. And he's a little bit older than Lowry Market, And not that he worked the ins and outs of the trade, but no, that he but- was open to going to a contender. That at this point in his career, yes. he, he wanted to have the ability to go deep into the playoffs. And so uh, it wasn't that, you know, Larry Nance Jr. was taken by surprise. And from a sheer basketball standpoint, uh, you're right. The Cavs got younger, uh, a very talented Lowry marketing who has the ability to knock down that three-point shot. So, yes, from an emotional connection to the city standpoint, uh, it's a difficult trade. From a sheer basketball standpoint, uh, I think it's a tremendous deal for the Cavaliers. And that's not diminishing what Larry Nance Jr. could do on the floor, but it's what they brought in in Lowry Marketing. Well, and let's not forget, Lowry's doing a pretty good job of, of, of uh, endearing himself to the city. Yes, too. he is. And he has said many times how excited he is to be in Cleveland and how much he likes being in Cleveland. And uh, uh, yeah, it's it just, like I said, tough trade to make. Like that's, to me... To me, that's the makings of a good general manager and a good coaching staff and a good front office is when a guy like Kobe Altman is able to say, listen, this sucks that we have to trade Larry Nance. We don't want to trade Larry Nance Jr. We like having him around. He is a good basketball player, but we think this is going to be the direction that this team needs to go to get better. And they did it. You're right. And, and you know, the only thing that I would add to that is the fact that uh, they worked in conjunction with Larry, and that shows the class of the organization. Yes, you know they they, they could have sent him somewhere, which you know a team's way behind in the process. But they were upfront with Larry, and Larry was upfront with them to say, "I want to go to a contender." You know, I'm I'm getting close to thirty years old, so I'm yes. probably on the back nine of my career. Um, and so they worked with him on that and made it a three way deal to get. Chicago involved and get Lowry marketed here. I thought every party involved handled it beautifully. I thought the Cavs handled yeah. it wonderfully. As I said, um, you know, Larry's remarks and his written statement as he left uh, was so classy, which of course you would anticipate from a guy like Larry Nance. 
And uh, and I, as you said, Lowry Market and understanding that he was replacing a real fan favorite uh, has come in and kind of kept his head low, but also said, I love being here and I'm going to do everything I can. So I think every aspect involved in this deal has done it right. So let's talk about a couple of the other players, right? Let's talk about the future of the franchise. Ugh. I'm not sure I've ever been. I think it was 2003. The last time I was this sure of a home run pick for the Cavaliers as I am about Evan Mobley. This, that kid's special, Tim, that kid is special. It's not a home run pick. It's a grand slam pick. <laughs> it's no, he's special. Yeah. The, the talent level and the ceiling for Evan Mobley is to become an elite NBA basketball player. And sometimes as Jim and I call the games, we still have to sit back in the chair a little bit and go, he's, he's 19 years old. And yet you see the potential there and you see what he does. And, uh, you know, we were talking yesterday, he was ready for the moment. You know, you talk about some guys that come into the league and you can see what it takes them a while to adapt and get comfortable. Not the case with Evan Mobley. And as a 19-year-old with only one year of college basketball to come into the NBA game and say, here I am, I'm ready to play at this level. Now, he doesn't do it in that boastful of a manner. He's a very quiet, even-keeled young man. But uh, his play on the court has said, I'm ready to do this. And you're exactly right. He's going to be a the cornerstone piece of this Cavalier franchise. He is an incredibly special young basketball player. You know, the thing that excites me about him, right? He's a seven footer. He's about as thin as I was in ninth grade, right? Like he is, he is that rail thin. It's not like that anymore. It's not like that anymore. Too many garage beers. You're Um, preaching to the choir. Too many garage beers. (laughs) But that's the thing that excites, like he's, you have to remember. And this goes with a lot of these guys, these young guys. Look at, imagine five years of an NBA conditioning program with Evan Mobley, right? Uh, Five years of a weightlifting program in the NBA and a nutrition program in the NBA with Evan Mobley, he's going to get bigger and stronger, but he still has the talent and the, like the, the finesse and the skill. And the thing that impresses me most, Tim, when I watch Evan Mobley, he's smart. He makes the right play with the basketball. It isn't just this pure talent level thing. And he's got to figure out the game. He's figuring it out right in front of our faces. And he's smart. He makes the right pass. He makes the right cut. He makes the right move. It's it. He is that guy that is going to be the face of this franchise. There's no doubt. Uh, and that gets back to what I was mentioning earlier, Mike, about the fact that he was ready for the moment. He was ready for the NBA. And I didn't mean that in just the skill level. And you touched on it. And it's a great point. He was ready from a basketball IQ sense for the NBA. Other youngers where they get to the end and man, it's a faster game for them. Everything's moving quickly and they have to adapt to that. Evan Mobley has stepped onto that floor and said, I'm ready for the NBA as far as the level of play and the basketball IQ and the mentality that he brings to the floor aside from this incredible skill level. And to your point, uh, he's only 19 years old. So he he may still have Jeez. some growing to do, but 
you're right. The conditioning and then the, and the body uh, that's just going to get better and better. And the thing that JB raves about with Evan Mobley, and there's a lot to rave about is the fact that he doesn't question anything. So if they tell him to go into the weight room for the next two hours, he's going to do it. They tell him to run this play. He picks it up the very first time. So uh, he just soaks everything in and he doesn't question anything. So uh, the sky is the limit. Absolutely, the sky is the limit. Yeah, it, it, it's, um, again, Darius Garland, top 10 pick. Colin Sexton, top 10 pick. Isaac Okoro. Isaac Okoro is one of those guys, Tim, that it is taking him a minute to get used to the NBA game. And that's okay. He's Isaac Okoro has every bit the makings of an elite NBA defender, and he showed it so far this year. But it's taken him a minute to figure out his game on an offensive level, especially. Um, but Jared Allen, it, he just has shown that difference between. And again, it's not uh, it's no it's no I'm not saying anything bad about Darius or Colin or Isaac or whatever. But Darius Garland is that guy where you're like, that's the guy we build the franchise around. It's not that the other guys aren't important because they are. But that's the guy that has the ability to be one of the best players in the NBA. You're exactly right. No, I agree with you totally. And, you know, to follow up on your point about last year's first round choice, Isaac Okoro, uh, as you mentioned, defensively, he was NBA ready. We talked about, you know, Mobley's NBA ready. He was ready for the moment. Now for Evan, it's on both ends of the floor. For Isaac coming in, everybody said he's ready to play defensively. His offensive game is going to take some time. And I think the Cavaliers are also realizing offensively, he's more comfortable at that two-guard spot. Yes. He kind of floats around the perimeter uh, as the three when he's playing on the wing. But you put him at the two, and all of a sudden, he's shooting shots. He's going to the basket, yes. and it's just a it's a comfortability thing. So uh, they'll find it. They'll find that sweet spot for him. But uh, believe me, I think Isaac Okoro has a very bright future in this league. So we're, we're kind of moving along here and we're going player to player. The other thing that has been insanely impressive, Tim, like that, it's, it's all been very impressive. Listen, this is a Cavs team that still has so much room to grow. You've got, you've got guys that just, even Colin Sexton, how old's Colin Sexton? 22, 24, 24, whatever. They're all young. Right. There's so much room to grow. And then you hand a hundred million dollar contract to Jared Allen. And it, it was it was moderately uh, positive reception when they did that amongst fans that I saw, because I know a lot of fans were like, is Jared Allen that guy is Jared Allen, a hundred million dollar contract guy. And then he has come out this year. You see a lot of guys get those contracts and then feel that pressure of that contract, right. Of, and, and, and they push and they push and they overexert because they're trying to prove the worth of that contract. Jared mm-hmm. Allen has been every penny ever worth every penny of that contract better. Jared <laughs> Allen has been better than he's ever been after he signed that contract. It has been incredible to watch. Well, as I mentioned, you know, on the, on the five game road swing, he had two games of 20 plus 20 plus points and 16 rebounds. And he is the presence in that pain area. I mean, blocking shots, uh, just altering shots, deflecting passes. So, yeah, Jared Allen, again, the sky's the limit. You look at, you know, he's fifth year in the NBA, 
but he came in at 18 or 19 years right, old. So right. another guy that's only 23, 24 years old. So yeah, Jared Allen, <laughs> you're right. He's, he's another guy that they've got locked up for quite a while. And as you said, uh, I don't know if he's, he's looking to prove that he's worth that contract, but I think uh, he's looking to prove that he can be one of the top centers, one of the top pivot guys in the NBA. And certainly he has shown that early on. I mean, He's playing with, to me, I don't want to speak for Jared or the coaches, but to me, he's playing with a little more of an edge to him this year. Yes. Yeah, a little more passion to him. And uh, so, hey, that's good to see because when big men play like that, uh, they can be a real force in that low block. But it's a funny thing, Tim, because he's playing within himself. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's a big difference from what we saw from him last year. And, and again, it goes back to this front office seeing something in Jared Allen and the coaching staff seeing something in Jared Allen, because we got to a point about the end of December, January last year, where things really took that turn for the Cavaliers. Right. And you also noticed Jared Allen really start pressing and kind of not playing within himself and taking these shots that you're like, Oh, what's Jared Allen doing out there? And, and the Cavs still saw what they needed to see in him to say, yeah, he's a hundred million dollar guy. We're giving him this contract and he's come out. And I think it's the theme of the Cavaliers this year, Tim. So far, listen, we're, we're eight games into the season. They're four and four. Let's not make it sound like they're seven and one and, and we're going crazy. But the theme of the Cavaliers this year is these guys are playing within. Colin Sexton is playing within himself. And Jared Allen is playing within himself. And Evan Mobley and Darius Garland, these guys are playing within themselves and within their roles. And it's making them, even the games they have lost, they have been hard to beat. Oh, you're exactly right. I mean, there hasn't been a game where they're down 30 in the third quarter. Jim and I are going, how do we get through the rest of this broadcast? (laughs) I mean, you're right. They're competitive. Um, You know, they're they're not an easy check mark on anybody's schedule, as you said, at least through eight games. But think of those eight games as far as the competition was concerned. Those were eight quality opponents. And five of those were actually six with Memphis to start the season. So six of the eight have been on the road and the Cavs are four and four at this point. So they're opening some eyes around the league. And uh, you talked about all these young guys playing within themselves. And I know you made a a brief allusion to him earlier. Actually, both of these guys, you can't discount the veteran presence of Ricky Rubio. We're getting there, Tim. We're getting there. Kevin Love, (laughs) because these two guys uh, you know, Rubio comes over on the draft night deal and, you know, everybody was excited about Mobley and don't get me wrong. Everybody should have been excited, but then there right. was this kind of under the radar deal. And I was like, Ricky Rubio. Wow. This guy's going to help, you know, especially with that young backcourt. I think the question mark, you know, Kevin going to the bench, would he be comfortable with it? How would he play? And again, right now there's the health and safety protocols issue, but Man, he has been terrific coming yes. off that Cavalier bench. Listen, uh, I didn't want to. I didn't want to skim the Ricky Rubio thing, and I'm going to say something, and I don't want Cavs fans to take this badly. I, listen, I'm not saying anything bad about anybody that was a part of this Cavaliers team in 2016 when they won the NBA championship. No bad words are getting said about any of those guys. But the difference between Ricky Rubio coming off the bench as the backup point guard and Matthew Delavadova. What I hear about Ricky Rubio, I keep hearing people say, oh, he's so smart. 
He's smart. He's savvy. He's a veteran. He does the right thing. And he knows what plays. He knows how to get the ball where it needs to go. And he's just very intelligent. That's all well and good. Matthew Della Vadova was incredibly smart and savvy and intelligent. And his hustle, you know what the difference is? No offense to Delhi, especially at the end of his career in the NBA. No offense. Ricky Rubio is incredibly skilled, incredibly skilled. He's, he's got a beautiful shot. He's got the ability to create for himself when he needs to. Ricky Rubio has been and hopefully will continue to be. That's It's like the nightmare for Cavs fans, Tim, is that hopefully the Cavs don't find that weird slide in the middle of the year where they just go boom and, and, and all of a sudden the losses pile up. And then teams are looking at Ricky Rubio like, hey, how do we get him here? Because he's Ricky Rubio, I think to me, Tim, and I and, and you've watched all the games and you've been part of all the programs in the offseason, all that is he's like a linchpin for this team. He's insanely important for this team. Oh, absolutely. When you watch the Cavs or hopefully listen to them on the radio, Jim and I describe it well. W-T-A-M, enough, yeah. yeah, the, <laughs> the Cavs radio the, network, the Cavs are a settled bunch when Ricky Rubio is on that floor. He has that that craftiness, that experience that he brings to the floor. When Charlotte made that huge run the other night, and that place was rocking. It was going crazy. There's Ricky Rubio out on the floor. Hey, settle down. You know, we're going to run a little clock here. I've been in these situations before. Yes. You know, my dad used to always tell me, Tim, you can't buy experience off the shelf. You just have to have it. You have to live yes. it. And Ricky Rubio has that experience. And so that savviness, that knowledge of what it takes to win, because you have to learn how to win at every level. You and I love high school sports. We, You still call it. I've called it for many years and still well, get a chance still do. to do you so. You still do. Yes, I do. You have to learn how to win at that level. And then you have to learn how to win at the next level because there's all sorts of variables that play a part every time you go up a notch. And when you get to the NBA level, you have to learn how to win at that level. Ricky Rubio and Kevin Love and those veterans have learned how to win. They know what it takes. And so for Rubio to be there for a Garland and a Sexton in the backcourt, for Love to be there, for guys like, you know, obviously Evan Mobley and even a Jared Allen, although that's why they brought in Ed Davis, doesn't see any playing time, but believe me, He's in that locker room and he's in those film sessions. So you need those veterans that can show these younger players and impart their knowledge to these younger players. Here's what it's going to take to get to the next level. And Rubio is such a beautiful example of that. What a trade made by the Cavaliers to bring him in. Well, and it showed a little bit of like, I feel like there was a little, um, a little fire. You know, we always talk about fans and media are always talking about hot seats, right? Uh, There was when you when LeBron leaves your organization in 2018, right? You're going to get a grace period, basically, because you got to rebuild because you build a team around LeBron. That's what people it drives me crazy when everybody's like, oh, LeBron didn't have the pieces. Yes, he did. But when you remove him from the pieces he had, those pieces aren't necessarily enough. They're enough with LeBron but they may not be enough with Kyle Corver. Kyle Corver was not enough without LeBron. He that that's like that. It, that's how you build a team, and that's okay. You get a little bit of a grace period, but then um, I think I think a lot of players or people, and I don't know if you've heard this around the organization. You're obviously more tapped in than we are. 
last year was not good. Um, I know you got a lot of young guys and you're trying to build this team, but there wasn't a market improvement last year from the year before the shortened season. Uh, and so I feel like there was this kind of a little more urgency in this offseason. Let's go get Ricky Rubio and let's bring him in because he's going to strengthen up our, our second team. Let's let's go get Lowry Market in because he's going to make us better. There was a bit more. I don't know if you sensed it within the organization, Tim, but it just felt like there was a bit more urgency within this organization. To Like we have to show wins now, maybe not be the number one team in the NBA, but we we can't be just another rebuilding team for the next 10 years. We've got to show improvement. And it looks like it's working so far. Well, Mike, I don't know if there was a, you know, if I sensed it, because to be honest with you, uh, I think the Cavs were pretty open about that. You know, that Kobe Altman said during the offseason and JB said, we've got to take a bigger step. We've got yes. to win more basketball games. So I don't think they were trying to fly under the radar with that. They understood that. 19 wins, 19 wins, 22 wins. We've got to we've got to take it to the next step. Now they've never come out and put a number on it, and I don't blame them for that because you just don't know how a season will unfold. So they're not saying 500, they're not saying 35 wins or whatever. Throw a number out there, but they don't want to get to that point, but they have been very upfront and very open about the fact that we've got to take the next step. And Kobe has said many times, we want to be playing meaningful basketball games in April. Well, that means you, you want to challenge for postseason. You know, they, they don't want to be on the outside looking in. Now, again, they haven't said we want to be a six through eight or we want to be in one of those play in nine through 10 seeds. But we want to have meaningful games in April. We want something to be on the line. Aside from if we lose, it's going to increase our lottery odds. So they want to play games towards the end of the season that are impactful games. And that's another part, Mike, of learning how to win in the NBA. When you walk out onto a floor and you're one or two games out of a playoff spot or a play-in spot, that's a different level of pressure than these young guys have played in so far. A Rubio has. A Love has. I mean, they've taken it yes. to the NBA finals as far as, hey, your season is if you don't win. But for these young players, not that they don't compete, not that they don't play hard in April the past couple of years, but they haven't played that game where, man, we have to win tonight. Yes. And that is so important to the maturity of a basketball team, just to understand what that pressure is like, because it's a totally different kind of pressure. So, Tim, ultimately, we've talked about the depth coming off the bench, which has been nice. Although it can get better. Uh, you've, you've got Rubio in love. Lamar Stevens has been, he's always that hustle guy off the bench, but uh, he's got he's to clean a couple things up. You're still waiting on a guy like Dylan Windler to, to make an impact a little bit, and hopefully he can and stay healthy and, and do that. And Dean Wade is still there. And, man, we saw last year that he can make impact on games. But uh, ultimately, Tim, uh, four and four on the season. But after an 0 and 2 start to just kind of turn things around on a West Coast trip that people will remember when LeBron James was here and you had one of the best teams in the NBA, West Coast trips are not easy to have winning records on. The fact that well, they went out there and did that, uh, 
it just the growth here, Tim, and, and and what that means for the rest of the season. I mean, it, it just feels like the sky's the limit here. Well, Mike, we mentioned during the broadcast uh, of the Charlotte game, the last time the Cavs went on a road trip of five games or more and came back home with a winning record on the trip was January of 16. That was, that was the championship year. Right, right. Now, they still went to the finals two more years after that. Right. So those were very good basketball teams, and they did not have a winning record on a five-game or longer road trip in either of those two seasons that followed the championship season. So it's a huge step forward for this team. As you said, there's a lot of basketball to be played, 74 yes. more games, and there's yes. there's going to be some ups and downs. They're young, but they're showing what they can be. And you're right. There, there's still some holes to fill. I mean, this isn't a complete NBA championship-level roster, but – Man, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be an exciting season this year and for the for the next few years uh, for the Cavaliers. I think it's going to be a blast. So, Tim, in your opinion, we've we've been through like the rebuilding years now, right? And and it feels like Evan Mobley is getting Jared Allen locked in, getting Evan Mobley in place, and then putting this system in place, Tim. That it feels like people, it feels like the players are way more comfortable in their roles this year than I've seen in years. My last question for you is we've, we've done this thing now, lottery pick after lottery pick after lottery pick after lottery pick, what, four years in a row now. How much does it mean to take that next step? Even, even if the Cavs make it into a play-in or uh, uh, maybe are lucky enough to hit the seventh or eighth seed or something like that, how important it is, is it for a young team like this? You've done the whole rebuild thing. To, to actually see the success throughout the year. How important is that? It's huge. It's just tremendously important. I remember, boy, LeBron's been in the league 19 years now, so I'm oh, going to age myself. <laughs> but I remember the very first time he made the playoffs with the Cavs, his third year. And he made the remark, you know, post-game press conference after that very first playoff game, that when he stepped out onto the floor, came out into the came out of the tunnel and onto the floor, it took his breath away. Now think about a kid that was in national games at Akron St. Vincent St. Mary right. and all that and the pressure that was on him coming into the NBA. But that feeling of playing in that first playoff game was something that he had never experienced before. I'll never forget LeBron talking about that, that it took his breath away. So that's the importance of it. That gets back to what we were talking about just a couple of minutes ago, Mike, about why you want to play meaningful games in April, to feel some pressure, to feel what it's like in a two-point game with five minutes to go and you're a game out of the playoffs. I mean, that's crunch time. That's it right there. And so this young team needs to experience that. So it would be huge for the team to get to postseason. Will it happen this year? Well, we're going to play 74 more games to find that out. But uh, the experience of that would be exponential because no matter what would happen in that playoff or in a first round, if they can get to that point, they would build on that and they would feed off that. And once they have a taste of that, they're going to want it more. I love it. Well, Tim, my man. 12 straight games for you now. Well, I guess 13 straight games because it started in Charlotte. 
13 straight games for you now in the Eastern time zone. So <laughs> enjoy that. A lot of home games. You guys, the Cavs have played like, it's like 20% of their away games have already been played. Wow. Well, when you phrase incredible. it like that, that, yeah, that's crazy. I mean, we got the game with Portland on Wednesday, back out on the road for two more. But as you said, in the Eastern time zone. Easy flights, Tim. <laughs> one Easy hour. Flights. Boom. One and hour. Seven flight. of the next eight are at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. So we'll be able to settle in a little bit. But four and four with only two of those games at home. And five on a long trip. We'll take it. And, and here's the last thing. They're not really shooting well. Like that's, that's like, it's not to, it's, if you want to talk about things to improve, there's plenty, there's going to be plenty of places for this team to improve, but they're four and four, they're four and two in their last six games. And they're not shooting the ball. Well, you talked about Lowry marketing, not shooting it real well. You've talked about Darius, Darius Garland's not shooting the ball incredibly well. The, the shooting percentage isn't great and they're finding ways to win. So Tim, there's a lot of fun games to be called ahead. Uh, you, you, you get to make your way. I think you get to make your way soon. To do you get to go to Madison Square Garden soon, or is that yes Sunday? Yes. Sunday. That, and you that, talked that about place that's will be special, jumping. That's a special yeah. place, and uh, and it's got to be fun for you, Tim. Just to kind of get back to you a little bit. Now that these arenas are filling back up again, people have to remember you took this job in the 2019 season to 2019, 2020, your first season got cut short because of COVID. And then, and then last season you're calling games from rocket mortgage field house, whether they're home or away with no fans. Now you get to get back into, uh, let's talk about broadcasting for one second before you leave. It matters. Doesn't it? I'm a, I, 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 to a, to a much lesser extent, I'm a high school football broadcaster. (laughs) But it makes a difference to have the Don't knock that. I love it, man. I love it. So don't knock that. I do it because of you. So uh, uh, it makes a difference to have the fans in the stadium, right? Like how much of a difference does that make as a broadcaster? Well, it's funny you say that, Mike, because I did some games for WEOL, high school football-wise, before the Cavs season started. And uh, that opener, Illyria Catholic in Illyria, Almost to paraphrase LeBron, it took my breath away when Illyria, Illyria came charging through and that band started playing and the fans started roaring because you didn't have that in high school football last year. So it right. doesn't matter what level it is. You know, you the hair will stand up on your arms when that happens. And, you know, I think back to just, you know, the game in Charlotte when that place was rocking, even though it was on the road. Man, your adrenaline's going, and yes. you're thinking this is what it's all about. And yeah, when you're sitting in a studio at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, you're trying to convey that to the audience, and I hope we were. But there's nothing like sitting in that arena and calling those games when the fans are roaring and the music's going. I mean, that's great stuff. So yeah, it's great to it's great to be back out on the road, even though the last one was a long one. Uh, but there's nothing like sitting in the arenas and calling games. Well, Tim Alcorn, you and you and Jonesy do an, an amazing job on the radio. Uh, I won't advocate that people don't listen. John Michael and Austin Carr on TV. <laughs> don't do that. Like, They're great guys. <laughs> maybe you switch every quarter. You, you go TV. You do what I do. You switch and you listen to Underwood on the on the. Well, I guess it's Guardians now. The Guardians broadcast, and then you go over to Tom Hamilton and you sync your TV up with the radio. 
But uh, if you're not listening to Tim Alcorn broadcast the Cavs game, go listen to Tim Alcorn broadcast the Cavs game. Uh, he is Tim. You are phenomenal at what you do. You are. Uh, you became a legend in the Lorraine County area. I don't know how many Hall of Fames you're in at this point, but it's it's a it's it's you're in some Hall of Fames. I know that for sure. Uh, and uh, and we are lucky to have you as the voice of the Cavaliers, uh, and we are lucky to have you as a friend of the Garage Beers Podcast. Tim, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Well, I'm consider myself very lucky to be your friend. Uh, you're a class guy, Mike. I appreciate that, and I appreciate your kind words very, very much. And uh, I love doing this job. I have a passion for play-by-play, whether it's the football that we talked about or sitting in the rain for <laughs> softball and baseball or Cavaliers basketball. I love it, and uh, your words are far, far too generous, but I appreciate it very much. And, uh, hey, let's do this again sometime. And once again, thank you so much to Tim Alcorn. Again, radio voice of the Cavaliers. What a great conversation we had. Uh, My favorite part is when he was talking about uh, where he gets to sit on the team airplane. uh, And that was hilarious. But uh, boys, the excitement in the voice of Tim Alcorn for kind of everything. You guys got to remember, Tim took that job for the 2019 season. Um, uh, Everything was fairly normal until COVID hit. He was unable to travel. So that's his first season as an NBA broadcaster. COVID hits. He no longer is able to travel. They canceled the back half of the season for the Cavs. Uh, uh, Then his second full season, he doesn't get to travel at all. He calls the home games in an empty arena. Uh, And and Chad, we've broadcast a, a good bit. Never obviously anything like an NBA game or whatever, but, uh, just having to having to like having to like get it up and like go for a for a for a basketball game in an empty arena when you're a broadcaster is tough. So you can just tell by the excitement in his voice how excited he is to have people in the stands, to be on the road again, uh, and, and just in that in, in that amazing atmosphere that he gets to call games in. Oh, dude, for people who don't know, who have never kind of experienced or uh have done have actually broadcasted a game before, uh you feed off the crowd as much Absolutely. as the athletes do, as much as yeah. the athletes feed off of the crowd. So, yeah, it's it's very, very weird. I mean, Mike, we were doing high school games uh, in, in, in the COVID era, too, and it was just so eerily quiet <laughs> at, right. at those games. And it was it was just it was weird. It was weird not hearing the band play. It was I mean, just like in, a, in an empty NBA arena, you know, it's. Piped in noise is nowhere near the same as it is just an actual crowd around you, and no. broadcaster and broadcasters feed off that same energy that 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 that, that the crowd gives the athletes. So yeah, it's it's uh, Tim has got to be just over the moon excited about this. Yeah, and you could tell he is, and boys, you could tell how excited he is about the Cavaliers. And I think we've done this in the past, and you always get excited. It's, it, we do it every year with every team. You find a reason to get excited for the we'll find a reason to get excited for the Guardians. We'll find a reason to get excited for the Browns and the Cavs and the Blue Jackets and every team we talk about. We find a reason to get excited. Uh, but the Cavaliers, let's talk about the Cavs for a hot second, because as we speak, they have just wrapped up another victory over another quality opponent. They took down the Portland Trailblazers tonight uh, by a final score of 107 to 104. Wait till you hear some of these stat lines, boys. Jared Allen, nine of 15 field goals, 24 points and 17 rebounds. Like Jared mm-hmm. Allen 
looks like one of the best big men in the NBA this year. Like, like there's no exaggerating that. Jared Allen has been spectacular. How about the rookie, Evan Mobley? 11 points, 11 boards, another double-double for that dude. Uh, And he was awesome defensively at a huge block of Damian Lillard down the stretch. It was incredible. Colin Sexton, 21 points. Darius Garland, five of six three-pointers, 19 points. And then off the bench, you had Chetty Osman and Dylan. Dylan Windler, I think, played for the first time this year. Any substantial minutes? 13 points on three of three three-pointers. And Chetty Osman, four of seven three-pointers, 12 points. Boys, this basketball team, when you look at what they're doing, Colin Sexton is not putting up 30 shots a game anymore. He shot the ball 13 times in this game. Darius Garland shot the ball nine times in this game. They're spreading the offense around. They're sharing the ball, and they're hard to defend. When you put in, especially when they're healthy, obviously Lowry Marketing is out, Kevin Love is out. But when you put in these guys that can stretch the floor a little bit, they're hard to defend and they're playing good defense. It's it's a heck of a start for the Cavs to start 0-2 on the year and for them to go. So now they're 5-4. and four, So they are 5-2 and two, uh, since that 0-2 start. And that includes the West Coast trip out to L.A. and Denver and Phoenix and then back to Charlotte, a game tonight against Portland. It's a great, that's a great start for this young team. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, uh, you know, one of the big questions going into this year was can Colin, Colin Sexton adapt his game uh, to, you know, to, to help this team. And that's exactly what he's doing so far this year. I mean, you said it yourself, Mike, he only put up what, 13 shots, uh, you know, yes. and being a, pri- and be, you know, in, and when he's been the primary ball handler, he's been he, he's trying to facilitate more. So he is trying to adapt his game, and that's gonna was gonna be huge. I mean, we know Colin can light it up the, uh, on the scoreboard, you know, in, in the in the point stats. We know he can put the ball in the basket, but it, it was he had to realize that he was going to need help, and he was going to have to change his game a little bit, get more people involved if this basketball team was going to win games and not just pad his stats. And uh, it looks like he's really accepting his role. And, uh, you know, and that's this team right now is is one of the biggest things that I'm appreciating about this team right now is, uh, you know, the Cavs aren't a doormat anymore. You just can't you just can't roll the ball out uh, this season and 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 win a ball game and, and win a ball game against the Cavs this year. You, you know, they're going to make them earn it. And, you know, you see that through the first nine games of the season that they're five and four. So, yeah. Cavs are uh, playing really encouraging basketball. I don't know if it's – who knows? Who knows what's going to happen in the rest of the year, whether they make the playoffs, I don't know, whether they keep it consistent. But as far as the start of the years go, uh, the start of this year goes, you can't help but be pleased with the Cavs' effort. Well, and they, they do. They, they do, aside from, um, I guess, the win today. That kind of skews things a little bit. But um, coming into today, they had the same record as the Browns did. Yeah, which I think is is pretty hilarious. I think that's incredible. (laughs) It's it's awesome, isn't it? What do you think, Mike? Isn't it awesome? Isn't it awesome, Mike? Isn't it so great? (laughs) The Super Bowl contending Browns had the same record as the. Let's do it. Let's fucking do it. Let's fucking do it. Listen, thank you, Tim Alcorn. 
let's, so first of all, thank you to Tim Alcorn again. It was a great time talking to Tim Alcorn. Uh, my favorite stat from tonight, by the way, uh, uh, Ricky Rubio was like downright bad statistically in this game. But I talked to, to Tim about Ricky Rubio. He was 0 for 7, 0 for 4 from three-pointer. Uh, he, he turned the ball over a few times. He did have seven assists, but he didn't score. And yet... Ricky Rubio had the highest plus minus on uh, in the entire game on either side. So when he was out there, he was impacting the game in a winning way. And that is what I love about Ricky Rubio is that he just makes winning plays, even when he's not playing his best. Anyways. All right, fucking let's get into it. Let's get into. Let's go from let's go from something that's very encouraging in this young Cavaliers basketball team to the biggest goddamn dumpster fire <laughs> in the <laughs> NFL right now. I the can't biggest, believe we're back here. He sure is the biggest dumpster here. fire in the NFL. Yes, it's the biggest dumpster fire in the NFL right now. I don't now. think the Cleveland so. Browns, the Cle- no, no. I don't no. think so. I don't the think Cleveland so. Cleveland Browns are the biggest dumpster fire in the NFL right now. There's no arguing it. There's no arguing it. <laughs> no. You can't argue it. No, they're not. Who, 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 who? I don't know. I can. I'm not gonna like throw out a name of a team that's a bigger dumpster because fire because you can't. Um, but I don't. I don't view us as a dumpster fire right now. What? Why? Well, I just. Why? I'm so. Oh yeah, things are going great, Joe. Things are going really great. I'm, they're doing great. They're winning games, and everybody's happy. And there's nothing else going on. There's no dumpster fire with the Browns. They're meeting all of our expectations. Nothing bad is happening. The Chiefs are the biggest dumpster fire in the Fuck off. No. The Browns' future um, just got brighter, I guess. No. Yeah. Here we go. No. No. You can say This is garbage. No, we can. No, we don't have to start and take our time and fucking be polite to each other. This is trash. This is trash what on part? fire. This is trash on fire being thrown out of windows, and it, it fucking stinks. It fucking stinks. Is it just the OBJ yeah. thing? No, no, it's all of it. It's the OBJ thing. And then it's like weird cryptic tweets that are happening from other players and Instagram posts that are happening all over the place now. And then the players are like, that's not even what that meant. Yes, it is. You just randomly think that we, we think you randomly just threw out a cryptic tweet and didn't know what you were doing the day that Odell Beckham gets sent home from practice. And then apparently Kevin Stefanski tells the Browns football team that Odell Beckham is no longer a part of the team. Yeah. It is a disaster. It's a disaster. It's, it's a disaster on all levels. It's a disaster on all levels. Like Uh, this, Chad put it right. Time to celebrate. Chad, Chad put it right. Chad put it right. I can't believe we're back here. We were supposed to be done with all this. We were the, the reason I'm so worked up. And Joe, I think you're going to make a really good point that I'm not going to disagree with. So I'm going to let you do that in a minute. But we weren't supposed to be here again. This was supposed to be done. We were supposed to be done with this Johnny Manziel level bullshit. We were, supposed to, we were supposed to be done with fucking this Brandon Whedon, Trent Richardson crap. We were supposed to be done with all of this. Are you naming all the not, jerseys you we have in your closet? We were supposed to be done with Kenny Britt and fucking Dwayne Bowe. We're not done with it. We're just still doing it. We're just still fucking doing it. 
We're just, this is just what the Browns do. We were supposed to be done with this Pat Shermer level crap. This is what this is. <laughs> is George Kokinas back in the building? Is George K back? What the I don't fuck know, is but, going on? What I don't know, but in, in, but internal business is something we're not going to discuss. Yeah, well. <laughs> Joe, calm me down for a minute, because like I said, I think you're going to make a good point. But I am going to make a great point. Fuck. Um, I, I look, I, I was on the side of OBJ makes your team better because if he's not catching the ball, he is drawing attention and coverage. But it is like clear and evident that, that there is something else either behind the scenes going on. Um, you know, he is open on numerous plays. Like that's not a question. Like the video that his dad posted, just watching the game with the naked eye, you can see like he's open. Why didn't they go to him? He's there. Why didn't they go to him? There is a reason they're not going to him. Um, and I don't think it's necessarily a Baker issue in that regards. Um, but he clearly has become a distraction in some form of the team. Um, and if you want to have any hope of contention uh, this season or any hope of salvaging this season, you have to absolutely cut a distraction like that out from your team. You can't have that on the team. Not right now. Now when you're four and four, he's clearly not helping or not getting involved or not being team player. There's, there's no, I mean, I guess there could be something else, but like, there's no logical reason why they're not including him in the game plan. There's also no logical reason that they're selling his jerseys for $35 at the beginning of the season. If they Whoa. were planning on trading him or getting rid of him, I am so on the train that they knew that he was gone this season because of that Jersey sale um, that I did buy. And I do love my OBJ Jersey. That's now vintage. Um, I'm so on the train that like this was in the works before this season started. Um, I think that's, I think it's just all, all big, that, accumulation of a bunch of bull that what that the video release was on was before no, the i think the started, nature like, of was, how like it, it it exploded um might not have been anything planned ever uh, but i think that going into the season there was some uh either distrust or disagreements between I'll just say the team. I don't know what part of the team, but the team in OBJ, uh, where they had a feeling that he was not going to complete the season. I think they tried to deal him at the trade deadline. Uh, he's too expensive and doesn't have the numbers for any team to really take a chance on. Uh, so the next best option was this. Oh, but Joe, they were they were all buddy-buddy and chumming it up down at Baker's estate down in Austin before the season. And that might be too, were, but like Kevin Stefanski wasn't there. Or, or, they, uh, they, Andrew Barry wasn't there. They were doing fucking backflips off of his dock. <laughs> uh, so how could they have disagreements? They were all getting along and dancing maybe, on Baker's pontoon boat or whatever the, the fuck problem. he had. I mean, they, that could totally be a possibility. Maybe Baker and OBJ aren't the problem. Maybe they are on the same page. Um, you know, at least like relationship wise. See, but okay. Okay. I, I get what you're trying to say. I get what you're trying to say, but then, but then why would this video, why would they release this video again? That's clearly like blatantly attacking Baker Mayfield and, and why he's not getting the football. I mean, if, if OBJ wanted out of the team, 
I think for his image, it's better to put the blame on something else than it is to have a meltdown like he had in New York. This oh, shit Mike, you look like period. this shit was supposed okay. to be over. You know, like, yeah, I, <laughs> I agree. And, 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 it should and, not have happened, but I, I feel what, like the writing was on the wall. You know what pisses me off, too? It's, it's the same thing that pisses me off about, like, the Johnny Manziel situation, where I spent years being like, no, Johnny can pull this around. Johnny can do it because he has the talent. He's got the talent. He can do it. He can do it because he's got the talent. He'll get himself right. And then he didn't. And it pissed me off because I spent years being like, he can do it. And then he didn't do it. And that's how I feel about Odell Beckham. What the fuck, man? You were expected to be a diva. You were expected to be a diva. And then for like this entire time, you weren't. You were expected to be a problem and a head case. And like this entire time, you weren't. Was it just a fucking matter of time? Was it just like you couldn't hold on anymore and you just had to do it? Like, what the fuck is this? And to, yeah, act if like, you, to act like his dad put that out and Odell didn't know that his dad was going to put that out. Fuck that. Yes, he did. What? <laughs> yeah. Why all of a sudden do we have to be a diva? Maybe you're not getting the ball because you aren't catching the ball great. Maybe yeah. you're not getting the ball because you're not running great routes. Maybe you're not getting the ball because even when Baker throws you the ball and it's not a great throw. Not, like not, We're not talking about that Minnesota throw where Baker threw it so far off that you can't catch that. But how about in this last game against Pittsburgh? He threw him a ball that, sure, was it a bit overthrown or whatever? Yeah, but Odell's going up with one hand, not even like, there's no effort there. You're just going up trying to one-hand a football. Like, uh, why, all of a sudden, why is this diva shit happening? You weren't a diva this whole time. You were a good, like, it was, it was like a pleasure to have you on the Browns, and not, it's like a ticking time bomb. Like, why are we doing this? Yeah, that's, and that's where I, like, <laughs> that's where I, like, I, I don't appreciate the, the like, the, I don't appreciate what, like, why, like, the purpose for why the video was sent out was just, I mean, it was strictly an attack on Baker, strictly an attack on whatever. Maybe it was the coaching, the, 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 the play calling. It was strictly an attack to, uh, on Baker to save his image, to save his, to, to, to feed his ego, saying, look at me, look at me, I'm open. Uh, he should have thrown me the ball sooner, yada, yada, yada. Yeah, but, but you know you what? That, oh, sorry, Chad. Sorry. No, I was going to say, but when you said that stuff right there, Mike, uh, uh, that's where I'm kind of, but but on, on the other side of that, I'm like, well, I mean, the video does have some merit to it. The video does have some merit to it because OBJ is open a lot, and Baker should throw him the should throw him the ball a lot sooner. But, but but why would you do this? But why would why would you stir the pot now? Why would you stir the pot now when your team is struggling and supposedly all you want to do is win football games? Supposedly you've just been a great teammate and all you want to do is win football games, and it doesn't matter. You know, your quotes, your words, not anybody else's. It doesn't matter whether you get three catches or, or, or 10 catches. You just want to win football games. So why release this tape now when you're tr- when this team is, is, I mean, is broken. I mean, this offense is essentially you know, broken emotionally and you're trying to turn things around. Why, why, why fuel that fire? I don't get it. You also have, um, I guess maybe a stat that we haven't necessarily looked at. Uh, but OBJ leads the Browns and targets uh, six ahead of the next person, which is Austin Hooper. Right. Uh, he has 34 targets on the year, only 17 catches to that 34, only 232 yards. Like, okay, again, we can talk about how there's those couple deep shots that like Baker overthrew or underthrew. That still doesn't give you an excuse to only catch half the passes. 17 catches on 34 targets is unacceptable. You're supposed to be better. 
You're supposed to be. Yeah. You're but supposed to be. You're supposed to be the player that can make the play on a bathrobe. But there is merit. Like there is merit to the complaint that Baker hasn't been good this year. Yeah, because he hasn't. Baker hasn't been good to anybody though. Baker hasn't been good. There's nobody on that team that it's not like Baker's unintentionally being bad when he throws the ball to Odell, but he's good right. to everybody else. That's that's the not merit. It's not like. It's not like he's like intentionally trying to sabotage Odell Beckham. He hasn't no. been good to anybody this year and he knows it. But like that the other thing that pisses me off is Odell Beckham if if you made a video about Odell Beckham and all of his drops and some of the weak ass effort that he has given so far this year, he'd be the first person to come out and be pissed that you made a video about him. Right? right. Like that the the there is such a, a professional way that you can handle something like this in right. the building. You, I don't care. Maybe Odell gets in Baker's face and they have to hash it out in the building. Not the bigger problem, not on Instagram or a, right. a Stefanski issue. Yeah. Maybe it's a Stefanski issue. That's what I think it is. And maybe it is, but then maybe, maybe Odell gets in Stefanski's face and they got to hash it out in the locker room in the building, in, in Stefanski's office. Maybe they got to yell at each other and like, get that out. You don't, you don't go to Instagram, my man. Why are you right. going to Instagram to do this? And, and, right. and, and, and it just, again, what that does is it puts the whole team in a position. It puts the whole team, makes the whole team look disorganized. It makes the yeah. whole team look like they're not on the same page. It's bad enough that this offense has looked bad. You scored 10 points against a shitty Steelers team. Yeah. And we watched that game. If you saw the game, it wasn't like there was, was this super Steelers defense that was locking you down. That's a shitty Steelers defense compared to other Steelers defenses. That's a shitty defense. And the Browns can't get anything going. Yeah. And, and so it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to want to win. This isn't, this isn't wanting to win, though. This is like crybaby bullshit. No, I, I, I totally agree. Again, it was, it, it, it was a video strictly sent out to, to save Odell's image, to, 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 to feed his ego, to show that, hey, look it, this isn't my fault. This is, I'm open. This isn't my fault. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't helping anything. This is something, if he had issues, he should have taken him, kept him in the locker room, hashed him out with Baker. I don't know, players only meeting, talk to Stefanski, whatever. But what, what, what is this? What is this doing? This is doing nothing. This, it served no purpose. Well, it sent him home. Yeah. It sent I him home. Yeah. I don't know. The whole thing just, again, again, you put this team together. You make your run last year. You get past the first round of the playoffs. You improve your team this year. This team is poised and ready to be just an absolute contender this year. And you can't get out of your own goddamn way. Yeah. That's the thing that pisses me off. It's not, nobody's in their way. Nobody's doing this to them. Steelers weren't in their of, way. No, they can't get out of their own way. Right. One thing goes wrong. One little problem. And the whole damn thing is falling apart. The whole yeah. thing is falling apart. We, we have gone from, we have gone from these expectations of 12 wins this year. I, is this a 500 football team? Cause I don't know. 
I don't know. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, we're going to the Cincinnati game this weekend. Like, I'm a. Is anybody else nervous that Cincinnati's rolling them by thirty points? Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'll tell you what. If if there's any truth, if there's any truth, because I know we I know we've denied it in the past, but if there's any truth to the narrative of that this offense is better without Odell in it, they sure have a chance to prove that this Sunday. They sure do. They they sure do. If there's any truth in it, I have I have no idea how that even makes sense. But but so I I don't know. Maybe now that that attitude is out of the locker room, maybe these maybe they can just start fucking slinging it again. Which is, you know what? Which is when I was thinking about it today. That's all I want Baker to do. Like just go out there and start having fun again. Like they, these guys look like they are absolutely miserable. Yeah. Go out there, yeah. sling it, sling it, throw touchdowns, throw picks. I don't give a shit. Just fucking sling it. I dude. wish I wish Baker would throw a couple picks because the alternative is. He is throwing the ball, and we talked about this before. He's throwing the ball so damn hard that, like, I just feel bad for any trainer that has to look at the hands of these wide receivers at the <laughs> game and make sure that they're not like bruised or like bloody from these absolute missiles that he's throwing. Uh, I do wonder, though. I mean, this obviously isn't the reason this happened, but like, uh, you know, can this have sort of a you know, the equivalence of a baseball manager getting ejected from a baseball game kind of effect on a team. Like, can this be something that the Browns can come out this Sunday and they are just absolutely fired up. They go into the rest of the season. Like this is their wake up call. Like you guys are better than this. Like this should be a Super Bowl caliber team. And we're four and four in week eight. Is this, is this the, the kick in the butt to kind of get them to that next level? Yeah. uh, Listen, it's sure. Sure. Like if, I don't know where I stand. Like I'm thinking of this weekend's game. I don't know whether I want to say that Cincinnati and Joe Burrow is just going to light them up for a thousand points or, or whether I think like what you were just saying, Joe, if, if it was, if it was that situation, if everybody was like uncomfortable and the tension was there and everybody was playing with that stress and there was something that we weren't seeing even more than what we've seen so far with Odell, and you remove him, and they can come out and play a little freer. They could also come out and kick the shit out of Cincinnati. So I, I don't know, I don't know. But we again, there's always got to yeah. be something. There's always got to be. That's the problem, and that's what we talked about with Jake Burns, and I've talked about it with you, Chad. You, you, Chad, and you have said a million times you like when the there aren't the expectations for your teams. You like when there aren't the expectations. You like when people doubt your teams because that's when they play better. You don't win Super Bowls like that. I know. You don't win Super Bowls. You you surprise you have a surprise 11 win season and yay, it's nice. And oh, we won a playoff game. Yay, it's nice. But you know what? <clears throat> to win Super Bowls, to be a contender, you have to go out there and be better than when people expect you to be good. You've got to be that team that people expect you to be. The the chip on your shoulder needs to be if we don't live up to these expectations then we're failing. That needs to be the chip on the shoulder. Instead, for the Browns, it's like we have to have something horrible happen so we can bounce back from it. And then, I don't know, maybe they win the next three games and we're all feeling good about it again. But I don't know if I really feel good about it. I don't know if I really feel good about it. Yeah, yeah. uh, you you just, you, until they start to play these next couple of games, Mikey, you're not. And that's the thing, you're you're just not. Because you have no idea how they're going to come back from this. Uh, You know, everybody is doubting them again. And I know... 
And believe me, I'm well aware that sooner or later, you know, a, a Cleveland team with expectations is going to have to live up to those expectations. I mean, outside of outside of the LeBron years for the right. Cavs, right? I, I mean, I mean the '80s Browns teams, but that we were like three years old for. Maybe that's right. the last team that lived up to those, you know, to those expectations. I, I, I mean, a Cleveland team. It, it just seems to be a pattern. I don't like it. Believe me, I don't like it, but. If that's the only way right now that my that my Cleveland teams can be good, <laughs> can can have a great season, then you know, then I'll take it. But yeah, sooner or later, yeah, they are going to have to live up to those expectations, and that's how you win a Super Bowl or or an NBA championship or an MLB title. And yeah, I, I just I I don't know what it's going to take, but it just it it always seems it just it seems like such a pattern that it always seems whenever a Cleveland team. Is 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 picked to win a World Series? He's saying all the national pundits saying this is the best team in the in the AFC. This is the team that's going to challenge the Chiefs or the Bills. Like, all right, no, no, Boys, we're a lot better. Want, when, we're a lot better when people don't know how good we are. <laughs> I want honest opinions about a couple things from both of you. Okay, I'm going to give you a couple things that I want honest opinions about with the Browns. I'm, I'm, I'm we can't. I can't. Okay, so Odell Beckham thing to me is just a fucking disaster. It sucks. Okay. Uh, it <laughs> yeah. sucks. I, I wanted Odell to be great. I, I I think he's a great talent. I don't know why he couldn't be great here. I don't get it. It makes no sense. Here's a couple of things I want to know. I want to know what your current viewpoint is on a couple of things that go around that are going on with the Browns right now. I want to know okay. what you think about these very honestly right now. So I'm going to start with, I want to know very honestly what you are thinking about Kevin Stefanski right now. Joe, you want to go or me? I got no problem with Kevin Stefanski. I got a problem with uh, Joe Woods, though. I didn't ask. No, no. We're not switching to Joe Woods. I want to know about Kevin <laughs> Stefanski. Oh, I got no problem with Kevin <laughs> Stefanski. Unless he continues to keep Joe Woods on the coaching staff. Chad? Uh, I had a problem with Kevin Stefanski. I, I, I thought that... Uh, you know, I thought that the play calling, you know, I think the play calling could get a little bit more creative. Uh, but when when this whole narrative is out there of, you know, there, there, there's nothing, there's nothing being called to stretch the field. There's no, you know, it, nothing's being called to, I, I don't know. It, it, when I took a look at it, because, you know, I'll finish up my thought here. So, uh, when I took a look at it, I really looked at it like for the first time ever. And I don't know why I didn't do this. I really kind of studied all the clips that the OBR film breakdown put out. You know, I studied the all, uh, you know, I looked at the all 22 film and, and it's just, you know, there's, there's, there's options for, 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 for people downfield. There's, there's options out there. And it's, um, I, I, I think six isn't doing a good job right now of seeing those options, but, uh, so, so, th- you know, that was the long answer. Uh, the short answer is I did have a problem with Stefanski. I don't think I have as much of a problem as I did. So the only reason I bring up Stefanski, cause it's going to lead to Baker is my next question. It's going to lead to Baker. The only, mm-hmm. the only thing that I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm kind of with you, Joe, as far as I, I'm not going to go overboard and be like, Oh, I've got a problem with Stefanski uh, because I think he's a great coach. I think he's the right guy for this job. And uh, frankly, he can stay as long as he wants in my opinion, but agreed. But I'm, a, I, I, I'm wondering if we're going to get to Baker, and you talked about it. We would all rather – I'd rather see Baker throw 30 touchdowns and 10 picks than 18 touchdowns and three picks. 
Yeah. I'd rather see Baker out there slinging the ball like he does. That's that's that was his style. He was going to yeah. be a little careless. And so I'm wondering where is this? I'm wondering where it's coming from because it feels to me like somewhere along the lines, somebody like sat Baker down and said, you need to just take care of the football. And while that's not like a bad philosophy, take care of the football, it feels like it's turned into a, oh shit, I can't throw the ball to these places because I don't want to throw an interception. So I'm wondering where is that coming from? Because it feels like there's got to be something in the coaching staff. Is it Baker repeating time? In a minute. Okay. Or Baker. All right. Okay. So that, was, <laughs> that was my point. That was my point. I don't know. I say, could I, could I, that sort of felt like it's Baker opinion. Time. It kind that of feels sort of like it's like, Baker time. I'm, I'm just saying, I don't, I don't know that I like blame Stefanski for it, but somebody has to sit Baker down and be like, dude, throw the fucking football. Throw it into tight windows. If you throw a pick, you throw a pick. Win games for us. Go win us games. Stop managing games. You're not a game manager, Baker. Go win us football games. So, so that'll take us to Baker. What what's your opinion on Baker Mayfield, Joe? Go on. You're, My you're opinion is that shoulders. this beer is so freaking flat, but the flavor is so good that I like, go grab the soda stream it. for Christ's sake. Yes. <clears throat> My opinion on Baker is like in a world where uh, world. every in time you don't have the football, the other team scores. Yeah, I would be really afraid to throw a pick. That instantly a turnover instantly takes you out of the game because our defense is schemed so bad this year. I feel like we are getting absolutely trampled on aside from like the Broncos. That was fun. Um, The Steelers Steelers didn't trample on anybody. They can't trample on anything. I'm just saying they can't trample on themselves. Look, I, I think that Baker has a lot of pressure, uh, because, uh, well, obviously he has the expectations that we we're talking about, but I, I do think that the the inability for the defense to effectively stop points from being scored against them, aside from the Steelers and the Broncos, but for basically the six of the games we played this year, it's kind of just like an open free-for-all, uh, and Baker has to be perfect in all those games to be competitive and to make this team good. Also, I love that we are the best one of the best, I don't know if we're still are, rushing teams in the NFL. Um, I think that's a great identity to have. Uh, but we, I don't know, it's just not sustainable, honestly. Like, Baker has to be better than, it just, it, you can't be a team that relies solely on the run in today's NFL. It just doesn't work. You well, waste too yeah. much clock with that. You you're have to, a good- and, and when you're making the throwing plays, like you have to make them. And if you don't make them, that completely stalls a drive because you can't run every single play on a drive for the entire game and win football games. Well, you have to be multifaceted, Joe. And you're making a good point. If you're playing with the lead, if you're playing with the lead, then yeah, it's good to be the top rushing team. And that is sustainable because you can run games out. But we've seen the Browns now on multiple occasions trying to have to come back or score a touchdown or something to tie a game or get better. And they're not doing it because they don't have that. So, yeah, anyways, Chad, Baker Mayfield, thoughts? I think Baker is in his own head. Uh, I don't know what 
it, whether it's over coaching, whether he has his his next contract in the back of his mind, whether it's the expectations that are put on this team, I I, I think Baker is in his own head. I you know I think he is living in this this twenty yard box, and I think he is scared. Uh, I think he's I think he's scared. I I think he's playing scared. I think he wants. I think if he feels, I think he feels like if he if he throws a pick, if he turns the ball too over, I think if he takes too many chances, that turns into a bad result. I, I, I think he thinks that it's 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 kind of I, I I don't know if it's I don't know if it's now a now or never thing, but I think he is 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 really just in his own head. Uh, I don't. Uh, he's he's got the yips. I don't know how much the shoulder plays a factor into it, but he's scared to throw the ball downfield. He's 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 not the Baker Mayfield. We've talked about it plenty of times before, but he's not the Baker Mayfield that has that that has made Baker Mayfield a name for himself. Uh, yeah, I, I I just something's off. Uh, yeah, I don't I, I don't know. I mean, if you look at if you look at those screenshots, like take that Odell play for instance. You know, in the Steelers game that you guys talked about, Odell was was open in the seam a lot earlier than he was before he got into that uh-huh. double coverage. He was open in that seam a lot earlier. Why, why aren't you throwing the ball, uh, you know, to him a lot earlier? Or, you know, Great. you saw, you saw uh, an, an OBR film breakdown. You saw Njoku on a go route. Just He was one-on-one with a, with, with a, with a safety in the slot, and Njoku smoked him. Baker just, just, just didn't throw it. He just didn't throw it. I, I just... I think Baker is in his own head, and I and I think that's costing this team right now. And, and as far as this offense goes, I know you can't. I know, Joe. I know you said you can't uh, solely rely on the run, but the run is is what makes uh, being good at the running game. You know, getting the running game going is what makes this passing game. You know, go that play action game is is what opens things up for Baker to do this. So I, I don't know. I that's I guess that's again, short answer. I, I just I think Baker is in his head and he needs to get he needs to get out of it and just go and out there and have fun and play ball again. Well we'll see. We'll see because if there's ever going to be a time there'd be a part of me if I was a Bengals fan, I don't know if I'd be thrilled to be playing the Browns with this week or kind of terrified because Chad, you've talked about it a hundred times. And if there's ever going to be a time where Baker comes out and plays with a chip on his shoulder, it's going to be after Odell Beckham's dad basically threw out an insult video. Uh, yeah. And a diss track. He got diss tracked by his wide receiver's dad. How embarrassing is yes. that? But obviously I, something else happened that caused, you know, Odell Beckham didn't get excused from the team because his dad chucked out a diss track video. There was something yeah. else that happened that caused Odell Beckham to get excused from the team. And it's all focusing on Baker. So now all the heat's on Baker and, and, and to start the year when he wasn't, when he was playing pretty good, well, remember his first couple games, he was great, right? He was throwing like 80, he was completely like 80% of his passes. He was playing great. It's completely falling apart. And it's yeah. been a lot of the national media that, that that's turned on Baker fast. And then kind of the media does. And then, kind of the fans start you you know you're questioning and now it's and now it's the team now it's now it's your Odell Beckham's dad yeah. chucking diss tracks uh so if you're ever going to see Baker come out and play with that with that chip on his shoulder 
<laughs> this better be the week to do it. He should come out just slinging the ball. Yep. Uh, I love that you say like chucking diss tracks, and it's like REMs. Everybody hurts, and then <laughs> 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 like But uh, yeah, I don't know, guys. Yeah, to me, it's it's after just watching it. Like I said, I. I, this is the first time I ever really paid attention to anything, any like sort of game film anybody posts is like the problem. It seems like the problem isn't the p- plays Baker is making. It's the plays he isn't making. Right. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, I don't know. He's just, there's, the, there's nothing wrong with making the safe plays, but my God, man, you have to, you, you gotta, you gotta get, throw the ball downfield or else defenses. And I mean, it's, it's gone to show you that, you know, the last, I don't know, two, three games that he's played. It's gone to show, like, if you don't start taking chances, you don't start stretching the field, you become pretty predictable. And I think Baker, these last three games, again, in his own head, has become pretty predictable. Well, I just – listen, the, the last thing I'll say, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this back, everybody in the organization deserves a little blame for everything going on. Yeah, and that includes That's Kevin fair. Stefanski. And I love Kevin Stefanski, and I told you, I told you earlier, I think, he's, I think he's a guy that I, I – I'm cool. Just sign that guy to a contract. And let, he's like Terry Francona to me. Just sign Tito to a lifetime contract and let him just stay here forever as long as he wants. I'm very kind of like that with Kevin Stefanski. I think we've hit the jackpot with Kevin Stefanski at the same time, though. I hope he's embarrassed because he is he the head coach. Yeah. He's the head yeah. coach. And this nonsense is going on on his watch. The same old Cleveland Brown stuff. This better be embarrassing to Kevin Stefanski because Kevin Stefanski is currently presiding over a Cleveland Browns team. That is very much same old Browns. Yeah. This is what huh? you remember when Juju last year said Browns is the Browns. Well, <laughs> yeah. right now he's right. Right now he's right. They're four and yeah. four. They're not playing well at all. They're, they're losing games. They should win. They're losing games against good teams. They should win. They are an absolute disaster in the media. They're an absolute. They are absolutely without question. The most disappointing team in the NFL this year. Absolutely, because you brought up the Chiefs, Joe, and they are struggling, right? For sure. But there's no doubt that that the Chiefs are going to figure that out. Like, nobody doubts that the Chiefs are going to bounce back from whatever they're doing. The Browns? Nobody thinks the Browns are going to bounce back. Nobody. Right. They're an unmitigated disaster. And so what I want, Andrew Barry should be embarrassed. And Kevin Stefanski should be embarrassed. Two guys that I love, two guys that I'm glad to have as part of the team, but I hope this is a lesson for them because right now that culture change that they pride themselves on, they're changing the Browns. It's not changed. This is the same shit we've been dealing with since 1999. It's the same shit. It's disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. It's not living up to potential. It should be embarrassing to Stefanski it should be embarrassing to Barry. It should be embarrassing to Baker and Jarvis and Chubb and all of them. All of them should be embarrassed. They should all and be embarrassed because they're supposed to be better than this. This and remember, is not supposed to be happening, and they sh- they're all part of it. And it doesn't mean I don't like them. I am a Baker believer. And, and if Odell didn't go off the deep end here, I would still tell you I'm an Odell believer. I like Odell Beckham. I wish he was figuring this shit out and would be a part of this team. I am a believer in Kevin Stefanski. I'm a believer in Andrew Barry. But the fact of the matter is, just because I'm a believer in him doesn't mean they are beyond reproach when it comes to this shit. They should all be embarrassed because they're all, they are all just part of the same old Browns. 
Yeah, and you know what? I think I think them sending Odell home today uh, kind of shows that. You know, I think that uh, you know. Just remember, you know, Odell, Baker, Jarvis, Barry, and Stefanski have no connection to these guys. They weren't drafted. They weren't signed by uh, by uh, Stefanski. Nothing like that. Uh, so. If, if they did fuck up, you know, and Odell did fuck up in this situation, uh, you know, they, they they kind of, you know, took care of it. They said, look, you're staying home. And I don't know what's going to happen for the future. But, you know, I, I think judging by this action, you can tell that Barry or the organization in general uh, is at some level of embarrassment uh, over this situation. So, yeah, I, again, I would agree. And again, it's not just Odell. I know it's it's all focused on Odell right now because that's. Sure, sure. Crazy, but it's all the other shit too. It's all the other shit too. They -hmm. should all be embarrassed by their play, by their coaching, by everything. This has been. This was supposed to be different, and and it's a good pause for for all of us that laughed at like the Freddie Kitchens year, and we laughed. Well, guess what? This is the same shit. This is the Freddie Kitchens year all over again. Right. Everything about this year is the Freddie Kitchens year. Baker, uncomfortable. Team, not playing well. Everything dis- seems discombobulated. The team's not on the same page. They're, we're questioning calls. We don't know what's going on. This is the, this is the Freddie Kitchens year all over again. So yeah. I, hope, I hope they're learning a lesson from this. That's, that's, that's it. Like, you know, everything was sunshine and butterflies and roses and shit for, for Kevin Stefanski in his first year. He wins coach of the year. Well-deserved. <laughs> Well-deserved rainbows and butterflies, basically for Kevin Stefanski his first year, but now there's some adversity and he's got to, uh, hopefully he figures it out because he's the leader of this team and he's got, he's got to get these guys back on track. You are four and four through eight weeks of the season. You've got nine, what nine games left, right? We pay 17. Yeah, that's math. You got nine games left. Do math. You got nine games left, boys. This game, mm-hmm. this this season is not it's not lost. You're four and four, just like right. we talked about after they lost to go three and three. No team has ever been eliminated at four and four. And the AFC and is four. still wide open. The, the whole plenty, conference is still wide open. Plenty of season left. Drew. Plenty of talent on this team. Plenty of good football left to be had out there. But it's going to go one of two ways. Is this whole bullshit situation? Is that going to fold them or are they going to grow from it? And we'll see. We'll see what these guys are made of because it's unbelievable. Again, just to wrap this up, unbelievable that we're having this conversation. It's unbelievable. It, it, it's, it's, it's goddamn near inexcusable that we are having this conversation with this football team. And they, they should all feel embarrassed. All of them, everybody, everybody on the team. Maybe except for Miles Garrett, who's got like what eleven sacks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on Clowney. Yeah, maybe maybe the defensive line gets a pass. Everybody else embarrassed. So, <laughs> uh, all right, boys, that was that was it. We had fun. We had a great, hopeful, fun conversation. The Cavs won tonight. The Cavs looked like they're going to be a good time. <laughs> Joey will remind Chad and I that we were very excited about the Cavs at the beginning of last year too. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, let's take this slow. Say it so. I'm cautiously optimistic. Let's uh, take this they slow. did only win 22 games last year. We are up to four, so we got five. You know, five, Woo. technically, yeah. So we're on a good pace right now. 60-22, which is exciting. 
Hey, boys, boys, this Kent State Northern Illinois game is getting wild. Oh, I love, I love Mac. Dude, Maxion is incredible. Kent State was up 45 to uh, 27 here. Uh, I'm sorry, 45 to uh, 21 here. Now, Northern Illinois, with eight minutes left in the fourth, has made it uh, 45 to 40. So, uh, uh, tune into some Maxion. Maxion. Uh, all right. So, that's going to do it for us. Great fun Cavs talk. I think we all had to blow off a little bit of steam. Maybe me especially. Sorry, with the with the Browns. Uh, but we'll see how they bounce back. Otherwise, uh, we're going to get out of here, but we're not going to get out of here before we do our three cheers of the week uh, where Joe looks into the camera and goes, oh, shit, I don't have one. So uh, it's like I should know it's coming like, or something. Chad, was your one you were real excited about the same thing you talked about at the beginning of the show or not? Uh, it, yeah, was, I was, it gonna, was it Paul? What was her name? Paul? Well, yeah, I'll get I guess I'll have two cheers this week because cheers to Paul Assassin because that is just a. <laughs> That is just that's some real like legendary gangster shit that like uh, Pole, Pole Assassin is your stage name. Pole Assassin is amazing. Oh All right? god. Like she's not gonna have a real name from here on out. Like anybody who knows her is just like, oh, what's your name, Danielle? No, you're Pole Assassin for the rest of your lifetime. Uh <laughs> but my other cheers, uh, it's a serious cheers. Uh it's not, you know, it's not goofy, but I wanna I haven't cheers yet. Uh Elvis Merzlikens. His start to the year has been incredible. Blue Jackets goaltender Elvis Merzlikens, he's 4-1 and one with a 1.97 goals against average and a 93-9 save percentage. So, shout out Elvis for the incredible start. Uh, you, know, you know, you talked about how Matisse was going to be watching over you this entire year, and man, and you sure are playing like it. So, shout out Elvis. Great, great start to the year. Keep it going, man. All right. A good one there. I appreciate that too. Shout out to Elvis. Uh, Joe, while you still figure out what's going oh, on I'm in your good. life. Oh, you're good? You okay, you go ahead. I mean, it was it was gonna be sports related as well, but I was gonna cheers uh uh the former Indians roster that was this World Series, uh particularly Michael Brantley and Phil Maton and Eddie Rosario. Um <laughs> I do love watching the World Series because it makes me realize that um I don't think people want to play here. Uh, I don't know. They just play so much better when they're not here. But I like shout out to Eddie Rosario for just being an absolute baller this postseason. The monster. Uh, and like legitimately helping the Braves get to this World Series and their championship. And uh, uh, I guess, sorry, Chad, but I'm, I'm kind of glad the Astros didn't win. Aside from I really hey. wanted Michael Brantley to get a ring. But hey, hey, don't forget uh, Josh Tomlin now, too. Josh Tomlin got a ring. Yeah, that's Did right. Jason Kipnis technically get one too? He's in the Braves minor league. Do they? No. 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 Worth no. <laughs> no. a shot. I didn't know how far that trickled down. Uh, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was crazy watching uh, some of the old Indians players. I, the, the, the crazy one to me, listen, Eddie Rosario has been a baller uh, for a long time. He wasn't great here and then he got hurt, but it wasn't surprising to me that he was great. The surprising one to me is like how important Phil Maton is to the oh Houston Astros bullpen. Like, yeah, this was a guy in our bullpen that was like maybe a middle reliever every fourth day, right? Like you'd see Phil Maton be like, oh, Phil Maton's pitching in a blowout. You know what I mean? Like that's what Phil Maton was. You know what? And he's like, they, a, he's like a linchpin for the Astros bullpen. You know what, I, what was bothering me about Eddie Rosario in particular though? And I, 
I think Phil Maytown might have been somewhat part of this trade too. But like when you look at the one for one, what the Indians got for Eddie Rosario, Kung Fu Panda, Pablo Sandoval. That's right. And he was released in oh my God. a matter of minutes afterwards. And like, oh my God. we couldn't even get cash considerations. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> we're probably still paying his contract. We probably paid for him to win the World Series this year. Yeah, let's go. Jack Panda. Black. Just Jack Black was a better baseball player than Pablo <laughs> Sandoval right now. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that's going to bring it to me. I'm going to do a food cheers. Uh, and again, I'm bringing it back here to Des Moines, Iowa, where I am for at least Des Moines. For at least uh, less than 24 more hours. Uh, we went to this place. We went to this place in downtown Des Moines tonight, and I'm giving it a special cheers for my cheer of the week. It's called Fong's Pizza. Uh-huh. Fong's Pizza. And it combines Asian food. It? Fong, F-O-N-G. Okay. Fong's Pizza. It combines Asian food with pizza. So, like, we had a General Tso's pizza. And we had, uh, they had a uh, like a ramen noodle pizza. Huh. And it's hard to fathom what it tastes like. A crab rangoon pizza was delicious. What? Oh, crab rangoon sounds amazing. Rangoon pizza sounds amazing. Oh, this What place, do they do for the sauce? Is it just like the sauce of like. Yeah, so, like the, the General Sauce pizza was like the General Sauce sauce with chicken and like a lot of the vegetables, like the little corn things and stuff. Oh, yeah. All up on there. Oh, it was incredible. Huh. So, this place has been on like the Food Network and, and stuff. Like, apparently, it's well known, but like Fong's Pizza. <laughs> In Des Moines, uh, combining Asian food and pizza, and it was it wow. was great. And it's a tiki bar. It's Fong's Pizza what? and Tiki Bar. Get yeah. out of here! This is all over. This place is all over the place. <laughs> they serve <laughs> they serve drinks and pandas, They're like little panda cups, panda mugs. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's great, and it's in Des Moines, Iowa. Oh, God. So okay, boom, culture. All right, baby. wow, culture. Good Fong's Lord. Pizza. All right, boys, that's going to do it for us. Those are our cheers of the week. Let us know what your cheers of the week are. If you have anything special you want us to shout out, anything cool happening in your life or anything funny that you've seen, let us know. We'll shout it out. Otherwise, that's going to do it for episode 89. Special thank you goes out to our awesome special guest, our very good friend, the amazing voice of the Cavaliers, Tim Alcorn. Uh, Had a great time talking to him about the Cavs. Also, thank you to the Belly Up Sports Podcast Network and the Unhinged Radio Network for hosting us uh, week in and week out as well. And as always, our biggest thank you goes out to you, the listener. Hey, you want to support the Garage Beers Podcast? You can go buy some merch, garagebeershop.com, or just get out there and like subscribe and like our stuff. Go to our, wherever you're listening to the podcast, make sure you hit the, uh, the subscribe button. Give us a rating and a review. Get over to our Instagram page and follow it. Get over to our Twitter page and follow it. Uh, Our YouTube page, subscribe to that. uh, And uh, just, you know, give us a little love there. Uh, But uh, as always, we appreciate you for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. So uh, again, that's going to do it for Joey in my house in North Ridgeville, Ohio, for Chad over on the east side of Cleveland. And for me here in Des Moines, Iowa, uh, go follow us at Garage Beers Joe, Garage Beers Chad, and Garage Beers Mike. This has been episode 89. Until next week, cheers, everybody. Cheers.